Hello, yeah. Topical, and welcome back to your favorite NBA coverage, where me and my good friend Arav Faruqi are going to break down everything that happened in the past week and a half this time of the NBA. I was worried that we wouldn't have enough to talk about, but we got a whole extra half week, so frankly, I'd be embarrassing if we couldn't make it a whole three hours. <laughs> yep, that's for sure. Yeah, so I guess I'll start this off like I always do. Uh, what games have you watched since we last talked, uh, Rod? Uh, so I act, actually, Ryan, would you mind talking to the crowd for just a second? I have to take a phone call. Oh yeah, sure thing. Dang, dang, thirty seconds in. Okay, so uh, just to give you a little preview for what we're going to be talking about today, I did a little brainstorming because, you know, I, after last uh, last week, I had absolutely nothing left on the table. So uh, stuff I came up with, uh, we we're going to conclude our conversation on uh, where uh, NBA franchises should be uh, relocated or expanded to. Uh, with uh, looking at if NBA Europe would make any sense, uh, if uh, referees should be making fewer calls at the end of games, if the college three-point shot should be the same distance as the NBA one, if a four-point shot would work in the NBA, what we think of the Tim Donahue scandal, and if it's really even uh, even matters that much, uh, what what we think about uh, the recent thing with uh, uh, Darius Baisley going choosing to the G League over the college basketball, and if more uh, players should be choosing to do that to avoid the one-and-done rule, uh, what we think about gambling and sports, and if sh it should be allowed in all places like the NBA wants, it, it, how Embiid nearly made it to the NBA season, and uh, he uh, suffered a facial contusion last night, or maybe two nights ago, I don't know, I didn't look at the actual dates, and uh, what that'll mean for the rest of his uh, career. And then what we think about the this crazy uh, road streak that I uh, noticed that the Nuggets are on, seven road games in 15 days, and how the NBA schedule should be uh, set up and formulated to avoid uh, things like this happening. I'm back, Ryan, by the way. Brilliant timing. Yes. <laughs> okay. So uh, I was able to hear some of the things that you were talking about. Yeah, I think all of those are pretty pretty interesting topics. But um, back to your question right before I left. Uh, games I watched this week. So I watched Cleveland play... Uh, the Hornets last night, I watched them play the Heat the night before, I watched them play the Nets last Sunday, um, I watched a little bit of the Rockets-Pelicans game last week, and I caught some of the uh, Utah and Celtics uh, game last night. Okay. So, yeah. Um, basically, what I, what I noted from all of them, um, Cleveland I think is definitely playing much better since Kevin Love has been back. Um, they went on a five-game winning streak. <coughs> Um, and, uh, I mean, they've been playing better, but obviously they still have all their ups and downs, I guess, because reintegrating Kevin Love is difficult for, you know, Rodney Hood, George Hill, uh, some of their complimentary pieces because they've never played with them before. But um, overall, they're looking better. They're looking more motivated for the playoffs, except for that one game against the Heat. Um, they only scored 78 points or 79 points, um, and they lost by 19. Um, and Dwayne Wade had two really nice blocks on LeBron James. But it was a cool moment. Um, uh, overall, I mean, and Kevin Love actually, he got a, he took an elbow to the face in that game, so he only played about seven minutes. So I think it's, I think it's, that was fine. I mean, LeBron was kind of playing with a bunch of no ones, so, um, uh, you know, or I guess I, I shouldn't say a bunch of no ones because those players are still pretty good, but he didn't really get that much production from anyone. He was kind of carrying the entire thing, and I guess he was just a little bit tired because he only scored 18. Um, but overall, I mean, they've been playing much better last night. I mean, LeBron responded very well. Last night he had 41 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, um, beating the Hornets uh, by 13. So, 
Um, my main concern with this team is just their inconsistency on defense mainly, um, because obviously consistency on offense kind of comes and goes. Um, for every team has like maybe one game every like 15 games where they just have a, where they lay an egg on offense. I'm just more concerned that uh, as to whether or not they can ratchet it up defensively, because um, I know a lot of people like, you know, Cleveland supporters and all those, uh, you know, LeBron fans in general kind of just think that when the playoffs come, uh, he can just kind of elevate his level to be becoming like the best perimeter defender and one of the best post defenders in the NBA. Um, the only reason I'm concerned about that this year is because um, it doesn't really, I, I mean, he's obviously in still amazing physical condition. Um, I just feel like he can't really be as good as a, a defender as he's been in past years simply because of how much faster the game is. Um, and for him to have to, uh, defend at a high enough level i think lebron james historically has always been a better trend uh, a better defender in transition than he has i guess one-on-one simply because well one it's more difficult to lock someone up one-on-one but also you know obviously lebron is known for the chase down block and all that so him having to play both sides of the court will require a lot of physical exertion for him so i'm a little bit concerned because he's gonna have to do more offensively than in years prior without Kyrie irving or Dwayne wade or chris bosh so um, I think it might be a little bit difficult for him to become a complete two-way player in the playoffs, but, uh, you know, hopefully he can prove me wrong. Yeah, definitely, and it, it's going to be a lot more interesting this year because uh, most years he doesn't have to worry about the first round, and he can coast through that just like he is for the last month or so of the season. But this yeah. year he's going to have to face either the 76ers or the Pacers or the Wizards, and none of those are pushovers. Those are teams that you would usually expect to face in the second round, and it seems yeah. like he's going to have much higher competition going through the Eastern Conference playoffs, and I'm beyond excited for that because uh, this is going to be our last podcast where uh, we can get away with not talking about only the playoffs because I believe the next one we're doing is going to be heading right into like the last uh, game or so of the NBA season. Yeah, and I mean, I think another interesting thing that you addressed uh, just now, I, I really do, I don't understand really why there's such a, like there's such a negative view of the Eastern Conference uh, relative to the West. Um, maybe it's because of the top teams, but when you look at it from eight, like, like from eight through three, like the conferences are relatively the same. Like I think the 76ers are probably just about as good as you know Minnesota or, or I guess not not even maybe even higher. Like you know I would compare like probably like if you're going conference to conference, like the Jazz and uh, the Bucks. I don't see that much difference aside from you know. The, like Giannis, despite how whatever people think about him, is still obviously clearly a better player at this point than Donovan Mitchell is. And Rudy Gobert obviously is on the Jazz, but the depth of Milwaukee and their length, you know, they have Thon Maker, Chris Middleton, Jason Terry. He's not long, but he can shoot. Yeah. Um, Malcolm Brogdon. The Bucks are a really gritty, good defensive team, I think. So, you know, they're, they're about right there. I think they'd probably be an eight seed if they were in the West as well. Um, you know, Minnesota, you could compare to another team. Uh, I guess the, really the only two teams in the Western Conference that you can't really compare to an Eastern Conference team, I guess, would be the Warriors and the Rockets. But you can't even really say that about the Warriors this season because uh, the Raptors, I think, at this point have a better record than the Warriors do. So, um, you know, and I feel like if the Raptors were in the Western Conference, you know, they probably wouldn't be a 60-win team, but they could still probably be somewhere around like 56 to 58 or something like that. So, I don't really understand why there's so much talking about how like the West is so much more difficult. I'm not, maybe it's because 
like seeds three through 10 are still only separated by like three or so games. But I mean, I think that's just sort of more about like how well you play rather than how good all of the teams are. Because like when you look at it, I really don't think the Clippers should be looking to make the playoffs. I think that the Clippers should probably be sitting around the 10th seed. Um, their best player, I guess, is Lou Williams. And no disrespect to Lou Williams, obviously, but he's not the same caliber player as, you know, all the all the best players in the Eastern Conference uh, and his own conference, for that matter. Yeah, certainly. And I, I think a lot of it had to do with just uh, preseason projections and uh, seeing all those players leave the East, Paul George, uh, yeah, Gordon, uh, Gordon Hayward being like the only guy that went to the East from the West. And like just an expectation that it was going to be completely talent try. But the biggest thing has been a ton of young players have stepped up in the East to see area of an entire 76ers team stepping up with Ben Simmons and Bede continuing his great play. And now Marco Fultz finally coming back for them. And you have the Celtics getting Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to have great produ- production. Uh, obviously, the Raptors having a fantastic bench that's mostly comprised of young players. Oladipo, who's not really young anymore, he's finally taken the next step, and Domitos Sabonis finally living up to his uh, last name. And then, and, and obviously the Heat uh, just keeping things going. But yeah, it just seems like the bottom tier of the Eastern Conference playoffs has finally become something that you can actually look at as a contending thing, uh, even if the seeds like 9 through uh, 12 or whatever it is, it's all tanking teams, but... Same can be said about the West right now, outside of the Clippers. And, I mean, I think they, like, I, I hear people say, a lot of people like, this is in regards to LeBron again, but people say that LeBron would not want to, he doesn't want to go to the Western Conference because then his his whole thing about, uh, like, his his consecutive final run would be over. And they, they say that that's such a big deal in in terms of, because the East is so much weaker than the West, but that's not necessarily true. I, I feel like it would end up being like he probably wouldn't make that many straight finals because eventually he would, you know, run into either Houston or Golden State or something like that. But I mean, in terms of like the first two rounds, like he would still be getting to the conference finals at least every year. So um, I don't really I don't really buy the whole the whole despair. I understand what you're saying about preseason projections. Like, obviously, you know, Paul Millsap going to the like. But, like, I just heard some ridiculous things. Like, it would take 50 wins to get the eighth seed in the West, which, I mean, that's not that's not going to be the case. That's It's going to be, like, 43, I think, so. Yeah, that's that, that was always absurd. And the, it, even if you look at it in past seasons, there was absolutely no precedent for that. I think, like, two years ago, the Pelicans were, like, maybe three years ago, the Pelicans were, like, a 48-win team in the eighth seed. But I like think, the, yeah, like, the last time that it was actually crazy, I think 2009, the 2009, which was... Nine seasons ago, or ten, nine years ago, but ten seasons ago, um, that 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 eighth seed that year was indeed a fifty-one team. But since then, it really hasn't been that astronomically ridiculous. I mean, like, and I don't really like another thing. This is just a pet peeve of mine. But people always like to talk about how, uh, like, LeBron didn't like his the level of competition when LeBron made the finals was much worse than Michael Jordan. Uh. But I, I, people don't understand that when Michael Jordan his first two years in the league or his second year in the league, his team made the playoffs and only won 34 games, I think. Yeah. Like, I mean, and LeBron won 42 games his second year and didn't make the playoffs. Um, so like, uh, that was just, that's just something that annoys me. Like the East has, 
there's like people are overstating it now how much like there's no level of competition like there's there's still definitely like like teams are even like i think that's what's more important like rather than you know what's what like the teams are essentially like like any every team that another team is going to play is going to be like like every series in both like each conference both series like every series in each conference is going to be is going to be competitive like except for maybe like aside from maybe the you know the the rockets if they end up playing denver like that probably won't be that competitive but even so like i say that but even so i I could see denver getting a game off of them you know especially at home historically denver is a difficult place to play in because of the altitude change and everything uh people talk about that all the time um and you know even toronto like if toronto ends up playing milwaukee in the first round like I mean, I I would not be surprised if that series won six games. So yeah, especially just based on the past couple of years where we've had the yeah, Raptors. Yeah, the Raptors in general. Like the Raptors can't beat anybody. Like they they went seven games. Like to get to the conference finals against LeBron, they played seven set fourteen and six. They played twenty games and they lost in the conference finals. Yeah, which is absolutely crazy. That's like that Heat team that uh, did seven games against the Hornets, and then was it was it seven games against the uh, Raptors actually that year? Which year? Uh, where, where where the Eastern Conference uh, the three through six seeds were all at the same record and they had to go to tiebreakers? Was this what? What do you know? What year this was? Like in I, terms, of, I like, think it was two. Team. I think it was two years ago, but I always mix up if it was two or three. Oh, you mean twenty sixteen? Yeah. Um, you're talking about the the who the Cavs played or who the who the Heat played? Yeah, I'm talking about the Heat that year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The Heat, yeah, the Heat played. They played seven games against um, the Hornets. Yeah. Hornets, and then they played seven games against Toronto. Yes, that was the same year. Yeah, okay. And then in Game Seven, they lost to Toronto barely. But that that was sort of that loss was. I, I mean, I was I was really rooting for the Heat to win because I would have loved to see LeBron play Dwayne Wade in the Conference Finals. I think that would have been really cool. Um, you know, just from a fan perspective. But yeah, that was the same year. Three through six were all essentially the same. Yeah, and I think that uh, Heat uh, Cavaliers game that we just saw that really proved and uh, that would have been a fantastic matchup with uh, Dwayne Wade blocking. Uh, Everything LeBron was putting up. See, I think I think the interesting thing. I don't know what it is, but I mean, I don't like every time I watch LeBron play the Heat, he he seems like he holds back. Like I'm not sure why, but it's like the Heat is like his most, like they're his least productive, like opponent on the road. Like he for some reason every time he goes down there, I mean, like and I saw some speculating that it's because he doesn't like he he really doesn't want to like. He doesn't really want to do that to Dwayne Wade. Like he doesn't want to completely outperform Dwayne Wade because I guess he feels indebted to Dwayne Wade for everything that he did for him. But I mean, it's it's, it's a strange thing. Like I mean, I feel like in a playoff series, honestly, like if if LeBron was disengaged, or you know the team overall just had abs- like two absolutely atrocious defensive games, which is you know completely possible with the the way they're playing defense now. Like I really feel like you know the Heat probably could beat them in the second round, maybe like if everything is clicking and they get Hassan Whiteside back and then. Obviously, Eric Spolster is a much better coach than Teron Liu. Yeah, uh, you know nobody would individually outplay LeBron, but literally, like twelve guys, like the twelve guys on the other team would completely outplay the other eleven guys on LeBron's team, aside from maybe Kevin Love, but he's shaky. So, you know, yeah, especially shaky. I don't even know if he can walk straight after that hit. Yeah, his poor tooth, poor guy. But it is what it is. I mean, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to the playoffs because like. I really feel like Golden. I, I, I just in I I don't feel like this is Golden State's year, um, and to me, like that makes this year much more exciting, because like 
that this sounds ridiculous to say like out loud, but I really feel like Cleveland's chances to win the championship this year are higher than Golden State's because like when you look at just the like historically, when you look at dynasties and teams that go consecutively, there have only ever been four te- four teams that have ever went to four straight NBA finals, and it's LeBron's Heat, and then it's um, Bill Russell Celtics, Larry Bird Celtics, and Magic Johnson Showtime Lakers. Those are the only four teams that have been to four consecutive finals. Not one four straight, but been to four straight. No other team has done that. Um, LeBron, if he makes it to the finals this year. Uh, we'll have done it twice. We'll be the only player to have done it twice. And he'll be, obviously, you know. But, like, Golden State, they won't have Steph Curry in the first round. Uh, I think we all um, – I'm not sure if I told you that statistic about how uh, the Warriors play and Kevin Durant's play specifically uh, falter a lot when Steph Curry's not playing. I actually saw a 538 article on that this week about, yeah, like it's a massive drop-off in terms of points per 100 possessions. Yeah, yeah, their point differential uh, without Steph Curry, they only win by three points, and then with Steph Curry, they win by 15 points. Um, without Steph Curry, they play at the third slowest pace in the league. With Steph Curry, they play at the fastest pace in the league. Uh, with Steph Curry, they average about 121 points per game. Uh, or 121 points per 100 possessions. And then uh, without Steph Curry, they, they average about 104, 105. Uh, and then I told you about how um, Kevin Durant has played, like in his entire career, he's played about one full season without Russell Westbrook and Steph Curry, you know, just in terms of how many games that those two have missed. And in those games, uh, rather than being what he had hit this season, he's a 54% shooter from the field and then a 38% shooter from three. But then without those two, historically in his career, he's about a 45% shooter from the field and a 35% shooter from three. So um, I feel like if Kevin Durant and the Warriors uh, this year, because they're not going to have Steph Curry in the first round. And um, it honestly, it could be longer than that because, you know, you never know with Steph Curry's MCL, like it takes, you know, he's, you never know what can happen with him. Yeah. He is at this point, a little bit injury prone. Uh, I hate to say it, but he definitely is. So he, um, if they end up playing in the first round, like let's say that Minnesota stays at the seventh seed, right? Yeah. If Minnesota stays at the seventh seed. They get Jimmy Butler back. Kevin Durant is not going to have his typical, you know, scoring outpour like against Jimmy Butler defending. Yeah, it just happened. Jimmy Butler, I, I would argue, is the third, or you know, the, either the second or third best perimeter defender in the league after you know whatever you like between Kawhi Leonard when he's healthy and Paul George. Yeah, uh, second definitely. or third, I think Kawhi is definitely the best. But after that, there's there's no one better than him. So um, <clears throat> uh, he is going to give Kevin Durant a lot of. Um, he's stronger than Kevin Durant. Um, you know, he's not as long, but he's six, eight. I mean, he has a long wingspan, so he's going to be able to do a lot of disrupting. And then obviously the Warriors, uh, their one weakness is that they never have anybody who can contain a big man like Anthony Davis, Boogie Cousins, and Carl Anthony Towns, who just dropped 56 points, 15 rebounds, hit six threes and had four assists against the Hawks last night. So, um, Carl Anthony Towns is not hitting any sort of wall. He's playing much better. Um, and He's he, he's played extremely well with Jimmy Butler all year. He's found a really really good role. Like him and Jimmy are very well balanced. They both score about twenty two points a game. And then you know Jimmy Butler does his typical thing, giving you about six rebounds and six assists. And then Carl Towns does his thing uh, with uh, about twelve rebounds per game. And he's playing much better defense this season too. So um, I think if the Warriors are to get matched up with the Wolves in the first round uh, in a two seven matchup, and Jimmy Butler's healthy. I feel like the Wolves could honestly probably take them six or seven games. And, you know, depending on how well Clay Thompson plays, I think the Wolves could beat them. Um, and then the Warriors, I think it, any team, I guess, has much more trouble closing out 
later rounds when they have struggles in the early rounds. So yes. they're gonna they're gonna struggle in the first round definitely without Steph Curry. Like unless they end up like unless like the Clippers get in and then they play the Clippers and then yeah. you know, they can probably sweep the Clippers. But even I mean I don't know. You never know with DeAndre Jordan could probably go off and kill them on the boards. Um, whatever it may be, just there's no favorable matchup I guess for them. there's not there's not necessarily. Like, there's no one team that the Warriors can be looking at at the bottom of the standings and be like, oh, we want to play them. Because Utah's 23-4 and four in their last 27 games. They've got Rudy Gobert, who they have no answer for. Denver is probably just as good an offense of them, offense as them. So they'd be difficult to defend. The Warriors would probably still, you know. But I guess mainly you'd probably want to worry about getting matched up with Utah or Minnesota because if that happens, then you're probably going to play six or seven games. And then, you know, your second-round matchup is not going to be easy because as a two-seed, you'd play a three-seed. Uh, the winner of 3-6, and the 3-6 winner will probably either be, like, New Orleans or Portland and Portland this year. I mean, if you don't, like, Damian Lillard never, like, he's probably, like, score, like bucket for bucket, he can match Steph Curry, and if Steph Curry's not there, obviously that's going to create an issue because yeah. Durant is too big to be out guarding Damian Lillard because oh, yeah. we, Kevin Durant is going to need to be guarding somebody else. Um, yeah, so they'll have to put Clay on him, but then who's going to guard C.J. McConnell? Exactly, and they'll probably do switches all day to get Damian Lillard off of Clay, um, and then Damian Lillard will probably go one on one against I don't know Quinn Cook, Sean <laughs> yeah, like you know someone like that. I guess Sean Livingston is a good defender, but he's really, really aged poorly. Yeah, he, this him, Iguodala, all of those guys who were contributing pieces the past couple of years have completely fallen off. I don't know what it is, but their bench is not what it used to be. Yeah, and really, it's mir- miraculous that uh, Sean Livingston lasts as long as he did with that horrific knee injury. Yeah, it is very interesting, but I, I don't. I'm not I, at this point. It really just feels like age. Like you know, I guess people don't really look at it, but like he he's been in the league since 2004. Like yeah. it's not like he's some young player that can like is a he's not like a spark plug. Like he's just he's just a tall point guard who developed a good mid range jump shot. Like there's nothing really you know stand out worthy about him except like he did one good. Like I remember in 2016 when Steph Curry went down with that MCL sprain that year. Um, he had a 20-point game in the first game of the playoffs, and then basically for the rest of the playoffs, he completely disappeared. But, uh, you know, injuries this year are obviously going to play a huge factor in who ends up winning the championship because um, – so basically back to my earlier point. Like, I feel like as though the Cavs probably have a better chance because their road through the East is going to be much easier than Golden State's road through the West, and especially without Steph Curry. Because if Steph Curry ends up staying out until the conference finals, you're going to have a whole issue where he's probably going to need at least one game – to get reintegrated, they'll probably lose that game. Then they'll have to go on the road because they want home court advantage against Houston. Yeah, Houston's going to be able to outshoot them. Houston can defend just as well as they can. Um, you know, Chris Paul is going to give Steph Curry complete. Like the, the interesting, the thing that I really like about Houston's makeup as a team is that you can't do that one thing that they always do, which is put Clay on the better perimeter player and then just let Steph hide on anyone. They, you can't do that because. That's one of the reasons that I think they've always struggled against Portland is because Steph Curry cannot guard either CJ McCollum or Damian Lillard. So there's no way that, like, if you get James Harden on Steph Curry, it's a wrap. And then if you get Chris Paul on Steph Curry, you know, Chris Paul probably won't score on him as much, but he's definitely going to be able to make plays versus Steph Curry because he's probably a much, like, I would say his basketball IQ is probably second to, like, the only person who I think would have a higher basketball IQ than Chris Paul is probably LeBron James. So, I think Chris Paul is going to be able to, you know, outplay Steph Curry, especially if he's not healthy. So, um, yeah, I think that it's going to be really interesting playoffs this year. And I hope, I hope the NBA Finals matchup ends up being Cleveland and Houston, um, just because I think it would be cool. Um, because 
I, I want LeBron to win more championships and I don't want the Warriors. I don't want to see the Warriors play in the finals again, because if they end up playing in the finals and they're healthy, then they're just going to dominate it. And it's not even going to be any fun. So, yeah, definitely. And uh, just going through uh, the player comparison tool where I can look at uh, each uh, matchup and how uh, a player uh, results when he's facing a specific uh, position player on the court. In uh, 27 games against Chris Paul, Stephen Curry averages uh, 20 points per game. And just in the past uh, year, because obviously it's much different facing him on the Clippers than on the Rockets, he had uh, 19 points, uh, 29 points, and 22 points on 36, 36, and 29 minutes played. So not too not too far below his standards, but you also notice that the last game that that was in was uh, January when all of the Warriors were still healthy. So it's a much different argument when you have, uh, obviously you got your uh, three different uh, role pl uh, skilled players that you can pass to uh, Draymond, uh, Clay, and uh, Kevin Durant. And that's a lot easier to deal with uh, Chris Paul for. You can just dish it off than uh, having to rely on yourself. And it's interesting because whenever the Warriors are getting injured, uh, part of that article that I was talking about, uh, showed how uh, they go into a lot more isolation ball, especially when Stephen Curry is off the court because that's Kevin Durant's game, and they run the offense through Kevin Durant when Stephen Curry's gone. And yeah. and it's it's very telling that uh, with the effective field goal percentage of, of uh, Kevin Durant with Stephen Curry on the court is 63%, but without Stephen Curry on the court, it's, it drops down to 55%. For Clay Thompson, 67.5% uh, drops down to 49%, and Draymond Green, 55 drops down to 45 So it, yeah. it, it's a significant Curry difference. Yeah, entire offense. Oh, yeah. And I think another interest, like Kevin Durant, as great of a basketball player as he is, like I think at some point people need to start realizing that Kevin Durant is not what he is without... Like Kevin Durant has never played on a bad team. Like he, he's all, like, Yeah, except for his Serge rookie Maka, year. At the peak of Serge Ibaka's powers, he was averaging like two and a half blocks per game and should have been Defensive Player of the Year at least one of the years that he was in Oklahoma City. Russell Westbrook, even though he wasn't you know, a triple-double machine in the same way that he is now, he was still you know, like 23 points, 10 assists, 8 rebounds, you know, numbers close to that. Um, and then James Harden when he was there, you know, obviously they had a really nice bench. And then he's been playing in Golden State, but... Kevin Durant, like, I don't mean to say this in, in a way to diminish him in any way, but the truth is that if, if Kevin Durant was playing on a mediocre or bad team, like, we would view him in the same way that we view Tracy McGrady. Like, he's just a really good scorer. His efficiency wouldn't be nearly as good, and he would be trying to take over games with the scoring, and it wouldn't always work. Um, like, Kevin Durant is extremely talented, but I don't think that it's... Like, Kevin Durant has never shown anything to anyone to, to, to the point where you would say that a team can win a championship with him as it's, you know, whatever. Like, you, you can't win a championship with him as, I don't want to say the best player because I, I think he's a better player than Steph Curry, but I don't think you can, I don't think you can win a championship. Or like, I'm not going to say that we can't, you know, you can, but we don't have any proof to say that you can win a championship with Kevin Durant being the focal point of your offense um, or your defense because, like, you can say that about Steph Curry because Steph Curry is a focal point of their offense and they've won two championships. You can say that about, you know, LeBron because he's won three championships and he's always been the focal point of what they've been doing. You can say that about Dirk Nowitzki. He did it. You can say that about Dwayne Wade. He did it. You can say that about Kobe Bryant. He did it. You can say that about Shaquille O'Neal. He did it. But you can't, like, Kevin Durant is not, like, like, he plays very similar to players, like, he plays very similar to players who people think are worse than him when he's playing without another superstar point guard. Like 
he plays very similarly to DeMar DeRozan and Giannis Antetokounmpo and LeBron James and, you know, uh, Kawhi Leonard. Like, he, he plays a lot of isolation. He tries to create. He tries to be a playmaker. And it just doesn't always work because he's really not that good of a playmaker. You know, his assist totals are often inflated by the fact that, you know, he's he's dishing off to Russell Westbrook on drives for like four of them, or he's he's dishing off to Clay Thompson for open threes or Steph Curry for open threes or, you know, Draymond Green when he can shoot, Nick Young. Like Kevin Durant really isn't that good of a playmaker, so I don't really think that you can run an offense through him entirely. Like you can run an offense through him as the best scorer. But I mean, even since he's been in Golden State, he's never led the team in scoring. Like this this season, I think he Steph Curry the only reason that Kevin Durant is leading the team in scoring this season is because there have been two games where Steph Curry left the game with an injury, so his, his coverage went down. But for most of the year, Steph Curry was leading the team. Steph Curry led the team last year. So, I mean, I think Kevin Durant is – he's I think he's a little bit overrated, to tell you the truth, because I don't think that – like Giannis, we know that Giannis Antetokounmpo – I'm not saying that Giannis is better than KD, but we know that Giannis can carry a team like by himself. You yeah. don't know that about Kevin Durant. We've never seen it. Um, they play the Bucks tonight without Steph Curry. But, like, the thing is with Durant is that even if Steph doesn't play, it's like you can't give him a pass because Clay Thompson is probably the second or third greatest shooter of all time. Draymond yeah. Green is supposedly an amazing defensive player. But um, I guess it just goes to show you that, you know, one player can, can completely change the dynamic of a team. And I think that's something that Steph Curry doesn't get enough credit for. Yeah, and it's a fantastic point that we have been overrating uh, Kevin Durant, and it's it's always a great reminder whenever you're on your own that that you you have to perform, and when you don't perform, and the Warriors aren't the number one seed right now, and when he's barely leading the team in scoring, as you mentioned, and obviously if you go to uh, points scored per like 36 minutes or 48 minutes, obviously it's not going to be Kevin Durant. And yeah, he's essentially never played on a a bad team. Like the only one being his uh, rookie year with the so- SuperSonics uh, team that isn't even around anymore. And yeah, yeah, like it, it, I, you made a comparison to uh, Tracy McGrady, but I, that that comparison is kind of weird because uh, McGrady sucked at defense and he got super injured. I I think a more telling one is uh, a comparison to Clyde Drexler in uh, the, with the Trailblazers, where. Uh, obviously, Kevin Durant's had more success than Clyde, but if you look at later in his career, Clyde going to the Rockets and like that, them having some success there, and also just being completely on his own and early on in his career getting into the NBA Finals against Michael Jordan, and I, I think it was his last year before he retired the first time. So that could be that could be a good comparison between uh, him and 2012. Uh, yeah, yeah, twenty twelve uh, Thunder. But yeah, no, it, it's interesting that uh, Kevin Durant has. It seemed like one of the luckiest NBA players around uh, lately, and yeah, I, it's hopefully he can get some rings off of it. But yeah, yeah, hopefully uh, he'll get judged more fairly and not viewed as better than LeBron James. Because oh, but just just on a note about why I chose Trace McGrady, I don't think, and I, you made the point about defense. Kevin Durant, I don't think is that good of a defender because no, he's a you, team defender. He's yeah, exactly, exactly. He's seven feet tall. Why is this the first season that he's even close to block? He's not even. He's not blocking two shots a game. Like people on, I don't know why the ESPN broadcasters and like every time he plays on live TV are like, oh, he's leading the league in blocks. He's not. <laughs> Anthony Davis is leading the league in blocks with two and a half. Kevin Durant is at one point eight. That's not close. Point um, seven blocks per game is a lot of blocks. So yeah, yeah um, let me let me Kevin check who's is, leading it in uh, blocks per uh, thirty six minutes. Sorry. Let me check who's leading it in blocks per thirty six minutes. They might be talking about that. 
maybe. But regardless, the point is that if you're seven feet tall and you're playing in the best defensive team in the league, then yes, you should be a good shot blocker. Like people try and say things like as as though he's some sort of tremendous rim protector when he's just not. Like Kevin Durant, um, I saw a statistic actually a couple months ago that said that there are only two players in the NBA who are uh, keeping opponents to under fifty percent field goal percentage at the rim. Uh, this season, and the two people were seven three Kristaps Porzingis and six eight LeBron James. So, I mean, you can block as many shots as you want, but at the end of the day, if people are scoring super efficiently against you when they're at, when you're at the rim, then like you're you're really not that good of a rim protector. You're just kind of good at getting your hand up there and swatting shots. That's that's another one of my criticisms against Hassan Whiteside's one year because like you can block a lot of shots, but that does not mean it's the same thing as getting a lot of steals doesn't make you a good defender. It's like getting a lot of blocks kind of just makes you a good help defender and someone who's tall with the ability to block a shot doesn't make you a good defender. And I guess like if Kevin Durant, like it's not like Kevin Durant made some sort of complete change to his game when he came to Golden State and was like, I'm going to all of a sudden become an amazing defensive player. That's not what happened. It just became much easier for him to be a better defensive player because he was just as talented in Oklahoma City his last year there than he was his first year in Golden State. But all of a sudden everyone was like, oh my gosh, Kevin Durant, he might be the best two-way player in the league. What's Kawhi doing? Oh my God, he's, he's like... Kevin Durant is really, like, individually, I've never seen Kevin Durant shut anybody down. I've never seen him stay with anyone. Like, people always point to the thing with LeBron on Christmas Day, but he fouled him three times, and, you know, the NBA two-minute, the last two-minute report confirmed that he fouled him three times and they didn't call it. But yeah, I, I say all that to basically say, like, Tracy McGrady, like, I, I was just looking at their season-by-season numbers, and uh, Tracy McGrady had one season where he averaged, like, 32 points, seven rebounds, and, like, six uh, five assists, which is directly comparable to Kevin Durant's MVP season, which was 32.7 rebounds, five assists. Um, and then they, sh- like when, as of when I was telling you earlier about the whole thing about how Kevin Durant's less efficient when he's playing without a star, uh, his, his shooting numbers are comparable to Tracy McCready. So it was just kind of a random comparison because I know they were both swingmen who could score really well, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, just going through a blocks for 36 minutes, it gets even worse for uh, Kevin Durant, just looking at players who have Played at least uh, 1,500 minutes this season, about equivalent to 50 games played. You have uh, Porzingis at 2.7, then Gobert, Capella, Davis, uh, let's see, uh, Miles Turner, Brooke Lopez, Joel Embiid, and then you finally get to Kevin Durant it's at uh, 7 for whatever that is. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know where the ESPN guys are getting the, those facts. They Sounds like some fake news to me. Yeah, I mean, I, and I hate the argument. It's like, oh my gosh, he's a small forward. It's so impressive. Like, okay, yes, we understand technically he's a small forward, but he's he's, he's as tall as DeMarcus Cousins. He's yeah. as tall. He's a little bit taller than Anthony Davis. Like, he's not really, he's really not that, like, I mean, Kevin Durant plays small forward because he chooses to play small forward. He, he's the size of a center. The reason he doesn't play center is because he's thin. Like, it's, it has nothing to do with any of it but yeah and most of the time he lines up at power forward anyways i, I don't yeah, know exactly i mean honestly i think it'd be pretty cool if he played center because if he had started his nba career as a center i think it'd be pretty easy to say that he's the most you know he's one of the like the better centers because no center like it, not necessarily one of the better centers but he'd be the most unique center of all time because oh yeah no center would be able to do nearly as you know as much as he could like yeah but that, i mean that's a discussion for another day kevin durant entering the league as a center versus small forward but, you know, whatever. Yeah, he, he'd probably get compared most to uh, Manu Bowl if he had a jump shot, which would yeah. be uh, absolutely yeah. bizarre. Yeah, I mean, uh, but also, I, I just, I mean, like, just, just from a like, a, like, a legacy standpoint, I feel like it could have been really good for him because if, if Kevin Durant was, like, 
obviously he couldn't have known this when he entered the league because, you know, the crop of big men in the league when he entered the league was much better than it is now. But can you imagine if Kevin Durant was a center in the league right now? Like, he'd easily be, like, the other, like, well, I guess not maybe not this year because you have Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns, Chris Sprazingas and all those guys. But maybe, like, two years ago, three years ago, before all those guys were drafted, he probably would have been the best center in the league because, you know, like... Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of room up at the top of the NBA for great centers. Not not now. Like now, he past- probably have more All NBA first team selections too, because he wouldn't be competing against LeBron, Kawhi, and all these other guys for spots. Yeah, definitely. But whatever. That's just a that's just a tangent because of how tall he is. Yeah, and it, I still wish we classified them by uh, reach, but it, it, it seems no, like that's no. never going to happen. Oh yeah. I, I, speaking of this, is a random. Um, there's a there's a player entering the NBA draft. His name is Muhammad, Mom, Muhammad Bamba. He has an eight-foot wingspan. Holy crap. He's 7'1", and he has an eight-foot wingspan. That's like Rudy, he, Rudy Gobert levels. Jeez. He's he's going to be... He's probably going to be a really good defender in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, no. Yeah, Muhammad Bamba, he plays at the University of Texas. Um, his height God. is 6'11", close to seven feet, and he has an eight-foot wingspan. That's absurd. I gotta see this guy. I I just want to see what yeah. you got. You all have to look up a picture of this guy. He must look like a. Oh my god. Yeah, his arms are quite long. Jeez, that's like that boxer. I don't I don't know his name, but there was like a boxer that whose whose reach was like a foot longer than his height. It was absolutely ridiculous. But this guy is just as crazy. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, that's something to look forward to, I guess. Hopefully, he doesn't get injured or get like shoulder surgery. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I think I'll be. Yeah, that was just. Yeah, but anyways. Um. Okay, but uh, speaking of uh, Rudy Gobert, because I know that was uh, someone. Who, that's always someone I'm happy to talk about. Uh, you you were mentioning how the Timberwolves are probably going to be who the Warriors are going to match up against, and it it seems like that's the best outlook for them in the first round at this point, unless they can somehow luck into the Pelicans, but. We'll see if that happens because the Jazz are just ridiculously hot right now, and I, it's going to be super difficult for uh, Draymond Green and uh, Kevin Durant to get to the rim if uh, Rudy Gobert's out there. Because I mean, even when he was like at seventy percent last year in the second round, he was still stopping him. And I mean, I think another interesting thing to note is that Clay Thompson has never been injured before. Like he's he broke his thumb. Like you know, we we have no idea what how. Clay Tom, like at the end of the day, all shooters are streaky shooters. It's just Clay Thompson seems to be one of those ones who rarely goes cold. But you know, I, I mean, I've I've watched a lot of Warriors games, you know, since I started watching the NBA, and I've definitely seen Clay Thompson go through stretches of you know maybe like 10, 12 games where he really is not shooting it that well. So I would like if if honestly, if Clay Thompson ends up not being ready to go, in, okay, if Clay Thompson's not ready to go in the first round, I think the chances of the Warriors being upset in the first round goes up tremendously because then it's literally Kevin Durant and Draymond Green who really can't shoot that well. Um, and so, like, you're, you're kind of going off of what, like, Sean Livingston, Nick Young, Kevin Durant, Andre Woodell, and Draymond Green. Uh, I'm not really sure that that can compete with Jeff Teague and Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins and Taj Gibson. Yeah, that, that would be fascinating to see. Uh, yeah, you just Im- imagine the Warriors in a seven-game series to start the playoffs. That, the world would be losing its mind. Like, Taj Gibson is, I don't really think that he's, like, aside from maybe the passing, but he's really not that different of a player than Draymond Green. Um, no, so he's Taj essentially Gibson the same, yeah. It. Yeah, Carl Anthony Towns would completely kill whatever center they play, and then, you know, Andrew Wiggins can score on Kevin Durant because, you know, and then Jeff Teague is probably going to, you know, dance on whoever he's playing, and then Jimmy Butler, I guess, would have to go against it. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know at that point. But, um, 
Yeah, I think it could be interesting. Um, I'm a Timberwolves fan, so obviously I'd be hoping for it. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, Clay Thompson having a broken thumb is not a like it's on a shooting hand too. So I mean, if Clay Thompson comes back in the playoffs and he has a complete first round going into the second round cold streak, then obviously your chances are you know even worse. So um, the best outcome for the Warriors would be for them to quickly get out of the first round so that you know they don't have to play any games while yeah. Steph is still recovering. Uh, so then they could probably have stepped back for the second round pretty easily if they end up sweeping the first round. But I really don't think they're going to sweep the first no, round unless, so you know, there's some last seven games of the season injury or, you know, they just end up playing like a Denver or a, or a someone. But yeah. even Denver, I think maybe you could get a game off of them. And, and it looks like these playoffs are shaping up to be exactly the same in the West as the 2015-2016 series where obviously Stephen Curry being injured uh, heading into it. But yeah, like the end up getting into a six game series against the Rockets. Maybe maybe it was five games actually. Five, it was yeah. five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but like a tough series against the Rockets, then having to head into an even tougher series the next round, and having a really hard seed in the conference final. I mean, it's not seed team waiting in the conference finals in the Rockets. Like they, it, this Rockets team, it it's even better than that Thunder team from that year, and we saw how much the Warriors struggled against them and. It's been absolutely bizarre just how much injuries have played a role in this season. I thought we were done after the All-Star break. See, the interesting thing to me is the, the one good thing about Golden State is that the 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 way that they're seated, they can completely avoid having to play Oklahoma City. Yeah. And while Oklahoma City, a lot of people don't really view as a threat, I definitely view them as a threat to take them, like if they were to play the Warriors, to take them six games, because at least six games, because... If Steph Curry isn't there, nobody's going to guard Russell Westbrook, and or I guess you'd have to tr- like. Well, that's not true because I guess Clay Thompson would guard him anyway. But you, Clay Thompson would have to probably guard Paul George so that Kevin Durant can guard someone like Corey Brewer, so that Kevin Durant has enough energy to expend on offense because he'd have to carry the offense without Steph Curry. So yeah, you know, it'd be kind of like a domino effect in terms of who they guard. So you know, Russell like, and even so, like Clay Thompson guards Russell Westbrook, but he like you can't really. Unless you have like an amazing rim protector, like I feel like honestly, like Russell Westbrook's nightmare matchup in the playoffs, I feel like would be the Jazz because you know then he'd have to go, he'd have to try to attack the room with Rudy Gobert there all the time. Oh yeah, hundred percent. In, in terms of the Warriors, with like you know Kevin Durant doesn't, you know he's not really going to be stationary at the rim like that. So, um, uh, and just overall, like Oklahoma City, like in the season series, Oklahoma City beat them in the season series two to one. Um, they beat them by 21 points and 20 points. Um, so, or 23 points and 20 points or some, some really big margin like that. It's, it's somewhere between like 39 and 45 points, but, um, you know, they've beaten them pretty handily. And I just feel like Kevin Durant, um, still an extremely sensitive player. I'm not sure if you saw his headline that came out when he was, he was on a podcast with Bill Simmons and he was like basically complaining about how people talk about him all the time as though he's not the second best player in the world. But regardless, you know, he's a pretty emotional guy. I just feel like it'd be an emotionally tough series for him to have to go back to Oklahoma city and, He'd obviously get all the hate in the world, and we all know he's not really receptive to that um, in a positive way. So that could be a really tough series. Um, I doubt Clay Thompson is going to hit 11 threes again in Oklahoma City. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think that could be interesting. Because, I mean, Paul George, I mean, yeah, like Paul, Paul George can really defend. Uh, like I said earlier, he's probably a top three perimeter defender in the league. So um, if there's anyone in the Western Conference that you would want to guard Paul George – or that you would want to guard Kevin Durant, Paul George would be one of three. So um, I think that could be a really interesting series. Um, the, the one thing I really like about the Western Conference this year is that I, f- I really feel like any team could get to the conference finals. Like, yeah. it's not like, like if, except maybe San Antonio because LaMarcus Aldridge just got injured. So, um, like, I, like, New Orleans, you know, if they, like, 
they can beat Oklahoma City if Oklahoma City is inconsistent in the first round, and then you know they would they would you know they would lose to Houston probably. But like just depending on how the seating falls, any team on the second side basically, like I think Houston definitely is not. I think Houston's no, definitely Houston's safe. Round. Houston's safe, but like everyone on the other side of the bracket, like so basically in the first round, Houston will play. Um, Houston will play yeah, uh, Jazz or Timberwolves. The either the Jazz or the Timberwolves. So, you know, but depending on, like, if like if Utah gets to the, if Utah gets eight, then Utah's going. But if Minnesota gets eight, then they're going. You know what I mean? Like, basically, whoever avoids the Rockets can get to the conference finals. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely, and uh, of course that uh, fu- that uh, Warriors Funders series you were talking about earlier that'd be completely dependent on what would happen in the Trailblazers Spurs series that is looking more and more likely every day course having that be a Spurs upset which doesn't seem at all unlikely but uh, I I think I'm going to transition the topic uh, away from this just because the podcast uh, next week or the week after is essentially only going to be talking about the first round matchups and just going position by position through them so I don't want to bore people too much by uh, just uh, doing the same thing over and over again Yeah, yeah totally yeah so, uh, okay, I, I guess we should uh, try and conclude uh, what, an open-ended uh, discussion we had last week on uh, NBA expansion franchises. So uh, where, where we ended, I was about to get into why I fought the fourth expansion uh, franchise to get the NBA up to uh, 34 teams. It, it, that fourth franchise should be placed in Europe, actually, and not in North America at all. Okay. So basically, the precedent for this would be uh, the third league, and I, I read about this like a year ago, the third division in the English uh, Rugby Association, so just like the basically the English Premier League of Rugby in England, one of its teams is based in Canada. And this past season, they uh, were everyone was super worried, and they were saying, oh no, what's their uh, road games going to look like, and they're never going to survive. But because of how well they scheduled it, it wasn't actually that bad. And they had a pretty comparable amount of uh, uh, miles traveled compared to the other uh, teams just because they would schedule super long road games, uh, super long uh, road stands and like home stands. And so it wasn't a big problem for them. It was more so a problem for the rest of the week because they would have to travel out to them like once every, every so often. But you only have to face them once or twice in the season. So it wasn't a big deal. So I, I thought because the NBA is so focused on expanding to new markets, uh, why not place a team in uh, Madrid? Why not place a team in London? Uh, just because you're afraid that it's going to screw up the entire NBA season? If you look at uh, how the Celtics uh, 76ers game went in London, they were just fine heading back afterwards. It wasn't a big deal. And if you look at the, how the NBA schedule is set up right now, you only play you play uh, each team in your division six times, each team... And your other team in your conference four times, and then uh, some three, and then the rest of them two times. So that means that some teams, they only have to travel out there once, and then uh, at worst, you have to travel out there twice, because we're assuming that the division thing is going to be gotten rid of, because that's a stupid system. So that's not that bad to just have you travel out across the ocean twice in a season, because that's really all you're talking about. See, I agree with you, and like, I think that like, uh, you know, for anyone who, who doesn't understand what I'm talking about, just, you know, listen to the podcast last week, Ryan and I were talking about how, um, like how the, the conferences should sort of go like differently, like in terms of the divisions, like the division shouldn't be by where you are. It should be like on your record and stuff. So, um, 
if you or if you organize the divisions properly, I think you could definitely do it because really, I think like like you said, like a flight from like all you really have to do is get with whatever that team is. Like you can just have them play the Wizards, and then after they play the Wizards, they can get a flight from DC to wherever they need to go. Yeah, and you know it would be a long flight, yeah, but I mean it's not going to be like it'd probably be about the same length as it is from I don't know like anywhere and like a really long flight in the United States. Like yeah, you yeah, know, I'll, like, I'll, I'll find a mileage comparison. Yeah, like. Whatever that may be, like I'm not sure if it would be like, you know, the Celtics to, um, you know, whatever team in California, but or like even when the, the SuperSonics were around, like Seattle to uh, Miami, that would be awful. Um, that's cross country, so uh, I think it could definitely work in terms of like, like travel. I don't think would end up being the ultimate issue with it because you could just place, you could just have extremely long, you could just have longer road trips too. So that way, like you know, and longer homestand. You know what I'm saying, like. You don't have to, you wouldn't have to do, and like, honestly, if you ended up doing two, then you, it'd be even easier because then you could just kind of like, you could do like an alternating thing where you have more teams come over and play their two game stands against those teams and just, yeah. you know, delay it. And if you spread out the schedule, it'd be fine because then you'd still like I, the schedule needs to be spread out anyway, because, you know, play, like, I think, I think this season they'll really look at spreading out the schedule more because just because of how many players have gotten hurt this season, like all, like, I think every single one of the top 10 players in the league has been hurt this year, except for LeBron James. So, um, who never gets like hurt? If you if you, uh, if you spread out, you know, if you spread out the season and then you, you just give them more time for travel, then yeah, I don't really see why it's like it, it could definitely work. I just feel like the the main concern, I guess, would be marketing, maybe because like you know, basketball is really not that common in certain places. Uh, I mean, if you ended up doing it in London, you know, based on the turnout of that Celtics 76ers game, London would probably work. Um, you yeah, know, Madrid, I, I, I get, yeah. you know, they out there, like they love their Spanish leagues and stuff. Yeah. And but, like the only other one that could work is Paris, but that's pushing it because Paris is in what, in Eastern uh, France, like you yeah. couldn't do any central European one, but I, yeah. I just pulled up the mileage and, uh, Boston to London is uh 3,269 miles and Miami to Seattle is 3,290 miles. So it's actually exactly. shorter than some that you could expect within the U S. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I think you could definitely do London. I don't think guys would mind going to London, really. Um, and and it's like, only like fifty more to Madrid. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it really ended up like as long as you spread out the schedule, I don't think it'd be bad because like if you have a team, if like let's say you expand and you have a team in London and Madrid, right? Like like you said, that's only fifty miles. So then you could like you could start your road trip like just going cross country, I guess. Like if you're Miami, right? Like you could just prepare for a long like a long series of flights, like Miami, then you go to Boston, and then. After Boston, you go to London, and then after London, you go to Madrid, and then you just make your way back, right? Yeah. As long as you organize the schedule such that you would play all your games against those teams, sort of like not back to back necessarily, but you know consecutively, like you basically like if you're Miami, right? You play Boston, then you play London, then you play Madrid, and then after you play Madrid, you play Madrid again, then you play London again, then you play Boston again, then you go back home. Yeah, so absolutely, it work. Yeah, and like you just have to change how you think of the schedule and make it so instead of the NBA randomizing it right now, it, and I'm sure they have some factors where they say, okay, we don't want to set up every team with a seven game, seven road games in fifteen game stretch, like what the in fifteen day stretch, like what the Nuggets have right now. But it seems like for the most part, it's randomized. Well, whereas uh, here you would just say, okay, let's make sure that every team has this London series figured out ahead of time, and then. We'll just make the London team's uh, schedule first, and then we'll do the rest of the NBA. 
yeah, you just have to do it around it, I guess. Like they would just sort of have to not do like, and like I said, like I was telling you earlier, like uh, last podcast, like they need to be organizing the schedule such that you play teams like, like if you're the Warriors, right, or like the Rockets, or I guess the Rockets next season, right? Like you can't be playing like, you can't have the eleventh easiest like you can't have the eleventh easiest schedule in the league if you're the best team in the league. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. Like, and they you know they factor in many things to the easy schedule, like you know how many like how many road trips you have and like how many back to backs and like all that stuff. And I think the Warriors, like, I think last year or the year before, whatever year it was, they had like like I just said, like they had one of the ten easiest schedules in the league. So like, yeah, like it's gonna be easy to run off that many wins in consecutive years if you're playing one of the easiest schedules in the league but you're the most talented team in the league so they need to be they, they really need to start organizing the schedule in terms of like like you need to give everyone more of an more of an equal opportunity to win games like like i get it that the phoenix suns are completely horrible but if the phoenix suns were playing an easier like if, like let's say the phoenix suns were playing the easiest schedule in the league you can't tell me you wouldn't think that they'd win more games because obviously Devin booger is going to be better than some people on some nights yeah. so you know and uh, no, I absolutely agree with that. And something that I actually think we it would be a great thing for us to do after the NBA Finals is just take the schedule and see and design our own and like see how that would uh, turn out versus what the, we think the NBA would put out. I think that could be something fascinating, especially yeah. in the NBA offseason when you know there's nothing to talk about. But yeah, yeah like it, it's ridiculous that uh, the Warriors have the eleventh easiest schedule almost entirely because of a crappy division and just and getting lucky in terms of which teams they have to face three times within their conference and which teams they face twice. Like, that doesn't make any sense, and we need a system much closer to how the NFL handles its schedule, where uh, you have to face the best, if you're the best team in your division, you face the best team in one division in the conference and the best team in the other division in the conference, and that's how uh, the schedule controls for your uh, strength. And yeah. it does an okay job at uh, making the strength of schedule better, but at least it's doing something, like, unlike in the NBA right now, where it's completely dependent on just nothing, frankly. Yeah, I mean, and talking about, like, schedules just in general, right? Like, if you if you did, like, if you did sort of, like, what we were talking about last week, where you organized six conferences for 30 teams, in term, or six divisions for 30 teams in terms of your record, right? Yeah. Then you could even do a simpler playoff format like the NFL does and just have all the division winners in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, and then do it like that way, but then obviously you'd only have six teams, so then there'd be something to buy incorporated. But what, regardless, like, you know, like if you were, if we're talking about expansion anyway, then you can just have two more divisions, right? You could add four teams and then you could put all, every, every team has five teams. So you'd have to do a five team expansion to, I guess you, you actually, okay, that would be a little excessive. Ten, yeah. Ten more teams. But still, like, regardless, like, if you just add more teams to each division, you could figure something out, like, have, like, one team that's, or two of the, like, two teams, like, the second, the two teams with the second best records after this first, the top six. Like, you could include those two teams in the playoffs, and then you could do it like that, right? Or, um, honestly, um, you, you, you could figure it out, honestly, like, if the NBA really wanted to do something, they obviously have all the funds, all the money, all the time, all the power to do so. It's literally just a matter of whether or not they want to do it. Like I hear them, they complain about so many things that they could fix. Like, like they talk about uh, issues with um, like back to backs. If they really wanted to, all they would have to do is just expand it, right? Like you just have to push. Like you have to make the NBA season start at the at the um, beginning of uh, like at the end of September, right? And then you could you have more weeks to do so. Like there's really I, I don't really understand why there's a why there's not a reason to start like 
why don't you start the NBA season on like September 20th, right? And then you just spread the games out more. Yeah, like, just not have preseason. Like, I don't really feel like there's a need for a preseason because no one plays, like all the all the veterans don't even play in the preseason. Like the only purpose of the preseason is for like guys to like get warmed up, but like there are teams that don't even practice. So I don't understand why that is like, they, you should have like a summer league like you usually do, right? For like, you know, the, the new players. And then like, I guess, you know, like they can just do something separate for players who want to, because like, when's the last time LeBron James has played in a preseason game? Probably like 10 years. Like when's the last time Kevin Durant played in a preseason? Like, I, you know, like they don't really, you know, like they, there's really no point of having a preseason, honestly. Yeah. I feel. And uh, that that's actually a fantastic point. I've never really thought about it like that. And uh, just looking at when the preseason started this year, it started September 30th, so yeah. And uh, I believe the NBA regular season started, like, middle of October, so that's two weeks. October 17th was the, yeah. Like, there's no reason for that. Like, if, if none of your stars are playing in the summer, like, you're literally having games prior to the season to create more opportunity for your players to get hurt. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's no point. Like, you're not playing for anything. There's no preseason championship. It's literally just an opportunity to warm up, but my, res- my response to that would literally just be just practice more. Like you have more practice time too if you're a like rather than having a preseason, just extend the regular season and then just incorporate. Then you'd be able to incorporate more practice time as well, so you don't have you don't need warm up games. Like there's no point of watching. Like no one watches the preseason. That there's just it's just so dumb. Like I don't understand why there's an NBA preseason. There's just there's no reason for it. Like like what do code like and like NBA like. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, like, if you're all a bunch of professional athletes, right, especially teams that have been together for years coming, like, the Warriors don't need a, a fifth preseason, like, if they've been together five years in a row, right? Like, there's just, like, and I feel like it, there's, it, it creates more of an element, too, because then you don't really have, like, like, let's say the Warriors last season, right? Like, when they, when Kevin Durant first got there, if literally, like, if, if Kevin Durant's first time playing in a game with the Warriors was in an NBA game, I think that would be much better because then, like, like, it, everyone knew it was already such a supreme advantage for them to get Kevin Durant, so it'd be a little bit cooler if he kind of had to learn it on the fly instead of, you know, getting four or five, whatever it is, preseason games to kind of figure things out a little bit. Like, there's just, I don't see the point in a preseason. Like, you could just start the NBA season, like, September 20th, September 30th, whatever, extend the regular season, spread out games, um, then you wouldn't have all these issues. And then, obviously, when you do that, you can make more competitive schedules uh, when you do that. You can obviously open doors for expansion and things like that because then, you know, travel wouldn't be nearly as bad on Like, I don't think NBA players have a problem traveling. I think their problem is that when they, like, after they travel, right after they travel, they have to play. Like, that's their problem. It's not the fact that, like, traveling is a part of being in the NBA. So it's not like all these guys are going to complain about how long a flight is. Like, like that's not, that's not going to be a thing. Like, it's, it's going to be more predicated on how the schedule is because it, it I don't think that we would even hear that many complaints from players if the schedule was balanced better, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, definitely, and if you if you just look at how uh, moving it back 18 days would affect the double uh, double header problem, which, uh, so uh, just looking at uh, an article from the beginning of the season on uh, the NBA reducing uh, double headers from 16.3 per team last year, and not last, yeah, last year to 14.4 this year, if you add 18 games to the season, uh, 18 days to season. Don't don't add more games. That yeah. then you've completely gotten rid of the doubleheader problem. And uh, heck, you even have a couple more days where you can uh, just add some rest in uh, for the players. So like that immediately fixes the problem. And yeah, as you said, it opens the room for expansion because a lot of people forget that 
Oh, wait, now what am I talking about? That doesn't add any additional games. So yeah, that does fix the problem, and it opens up room where you can have an uh, NBA team in Europe, and you can just have that be like an additional day of rest beforehand or afterwards. Yeah, and not to go off topic, but breaking news, Joel Embiid needs surgery. Yes. He's diagnosed with an orbital fracture and will need surgery. There's no timetable for his return. Yeah, I mean, he was so close to making it to the end of the season. We were talking about no, how... Just, I, okay, if it's an orbital... Do you know... An orbital fracture was the same injury that Derrick Rose had when he played with a mask, right? So he should be back. By same the with Kyrie Irving, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. So he'll play in the playoffs. He'll just need a mask. Yeah. I, I, I think they stay out like a week, and then, yeah, they're fine. So, okay, so he'll be back for the playoffs. Okay, cool. And they've already clinched the playoffs, so it's fine. It's not a big deal. Yeah. They no. Could, oh, they could slip in seating, though. Uh, yeah, maybe a little. Oh, yeah, it's super tight. They Well, no, actually, it's really not. It's not I, I thought tight. the way- They could probably drop to maybe... Six at worst. Yeah, sorry, I thought the Wizards were tied with them, but yeah, no, within the East, it's uh, 45 wins for the Cavs, 44 for the 76ers and Pacers, so at worst, you lose home court advantage against the Pacers, which I don't think is that big of a deal, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, the Wizards are, they're not playing well. Do you know what, uh, this is uh, off topic, but do you know what happened to John Wall? Like, I don't know why he's not playing. Like, I thought he was supposed to be back six weeks, like, I thought his timetable for return was six weeks, and that was like, like, Four months ago. You know, I think I jinxed him, to be honest, saying that uh, I didn't think he was going to come back until uh, the beginning of April, but no, I have no clue why he's not here. Yeah, but any, I mean, yeah, like, back to the, what we were talking about. I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, this, the scheduling issues are just kind of, like, at this point, like, it's like, if you really if you really care that much, then just fix them. Like, you, you, can, you obviously have, you can do it. Like, there's nothing preventing you from doing it. Yeah, 100%. And, like, yeah, that's something I literally have never thought about before, just getting rid of preseason. I really wish I could look at a study right now that said how many minutes veterans play during the preseason. But, yeah, I agree. It's probably... They don't. I mean, like, I remember I watched... I tried to, I, I've tried to watch the preseason the past two years because, like, like preseason, right? Like, it's supposed to get you prepped for the NBA, but it's not doing anything when Steph Curry is in the game and he's playing six minutes. Like, it's just... <laughs> It's just it's there's no point. Like it doesn't do anything. You're you're putting out that like there's risk of injury. Like can you imagine like if like what if Kevin Durant right? Like what if in their first preseason game with the with, his, with the Warriors, Kevin Durant had a Gordon Hayward type injury? Like you oh know, my God. like that that would have ruined their entire season. Like I mean, obviously, it would have made the NBA season more interesting. You know, that's awful to say, but like yeah, but still, like for the Warriors themselves, like they'd be pissed. Like it's like wow, like we just we just wasted our entire free agent pickup. Like what was that? Like. Yeah, no, I, I, and definitely, like, it, it, it seems like that would be more of a movement to uh, what Adam Silver wants, which is a system much more similar to how the EPL runs things, where there's no preseason in the EPL, there's a relegation system, and, like, there's only 20 teams, and, and like, you have multiple championships going on uh, throughout the season. Like, it, it seems like he wants to make it as close to uh, English soccer, and really just soccer around the world, much closer to uh, that than what other American sports are doing. So it seems like uh, getting rid of preseason would make sense. And anyways, like in every time you watch like the first game of the season, you always hear the commentators being like, oh, well, the players are just getting warmed up. It's the first game of the season. Okay, if you're still getting warmed up by the time the first game is happening, then just move it so that that first game is the first preseason game as well. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make it sense. Doesn't, it doesn't do anything. Like it's like, exactly. Like it's like no, nobody, no veteran no player period locks in after the preseason like, yeah they exactly just like it's just there's no point in having one i feel like i mean i don't i don't think that you could really go online and actually find it like a, a detailed anything that advocates for having an nba preseason like it's just 
it's almost useless. Like it's, I just, I mean, like I like Adam Silver as a commissioner, but like the fact that he's been commissioner since 2014 and the biggest thing he's done is the hack a shack rule. Like, I just feel like he needs to do like just one really big thing. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great point, and I'm going to look up in, like, the next five minutes the biggest changes made by Adam Silver, because now I'm really curious, but... Like, yeah, like, I mean, like, David Stern is remembered for, like, a couple of things. Like, he's remembered for, like, uh, the Chris Paul thing, and he's remembered for, you know, just, I think, uh, I'm not sure if Donald Sterling was under him, but regardless, like, David Stern was an extremely, like, active commissioner, and I'm not saying Adam Silver's not a good, like, an active commissioner, but... Like, I just wish that there was a commissioner who, like, we knew, like, was doing things. Like, you know, like, like in the NFL, right, like Roger Goodell, right, like, you know, Deflategate was a thing, and, you know, he's changing rules. There was the catch rule recently. There was the helmet-to-helmet rule just a couple days ago. Like, um, like I just, like, the NBA, like, I wish that problems were more addressed directly by the commissioner because he always acknowledges that there are problems, but he doesn't do anything outright to tackle them. Like, he doesn't give suggestions, like. And I thought it was just a really dumb idea this year to not televise the All-Star Game draft. I think everyone wanted to see it. Um, and, like, at the end of the day, it's a business, right? So, like, you should televise it if you know that literally everyone in the world wants to see it. So, um, I don't know. He's a good commissioner. I like him. He seems like a really good guy. But, yeah, I mean, he just doesn't really – he's not really doing enough to satisfy me as a fan, I guess. Yeah, and, like, for the for the most part, he, I, just, I just look back through it. It seems like the only thing that he really did was the Donald Sterling thing. It fell like right in between the two commissioners so i don't even know how much credit he can get for that but yeah, yeah just that and the one and done rule and overall saying liberal things but not really doing anything but yeah yeah like the biggest thing right now i think is just he's only been in the job for years so we should obviously give him more time but when you look at that overall tenure of uh commissioners in sports they aren't crazy long overall like you, at, at best you get 30 years but that's if like you start really young too and you're loved by everybody you have to yeah. think that like he's gonna get like 15 years at the most so like he's he's kind of gotta get these uh, policies rolling and it seems like he's more focused on stuff like legalizing sports gambling yeah like i mean i get that like what does that do for the game like that i mean it makes that money yeah like it doesn't it doesn't do anything for the game of basketball though. like i mean you know what it is what it is like it's fine he, he's fine but it's like like they're just more, like more things need to be addressed. like like the one rule like if in in games right like you should be able to reverse foul calls what do you mean if you if you review a play and there were like this this really irritated like this has always irritated me but it specifically irritated me when it like like it it, it had always bothered me right but like um like there was a again the Christmas Day game against the Warriors and the Cavs. Like Kevin Durant fouled LeBron three times in the last one minute and thirty seconds of the game. Three times he fouled them. Not a single one of them was called. And they reviewed the last foul and they they confirmed that it wasn't a foul. But because you can't reverse the call, the it was called and the like he fouled them and the ball went out of bounds. So because you can't go back and call a foul. It was deemed a turnover on LeBron. Yeah, that, that was the biggest BS ever. And something that I think that the NBA should think about doing is just having it always, like whenever those situations happen, uh, having it being treated as a foul. And obviously this is for when it's called a foul and then you want to call it back. Just have it called a foul, roll with it, have the foul shots uh, done. And then when you get to like a TV break or something, do how do it how they do it with the three-pointer versus two-pointer thing when it's super close. Like they'll take the point back if it was called a three-pointer but it should have been a two-pointer they just pretend that the foul shots didn't happen 
Yeah, like exactly. Like yes, <laughs> like it, it, it's simple fixes like that that really irritate me because like like at the surface it doesn't seem like that big of an issue, but can you imagine if that play on Ke- like what if Kevin Durant fouled LeBron James three times? At the end of Game Six of the NBA Finals, like then what? What then? What do you do? Yeah. Then do you just not call foul. Like do you just let them play on? Like how do you do that? Like then like a, a referee who was just who didn't even get a good angle of the play just determined how many championship rings that this like one of the best players of all time has. Like that's absolutely that's ridiculous. And another thing, like I just feel like referees, you know, since we're kind of talking about like the players and the commissioner and stuff, the referees association really needs to get together and. They need to be more like, like there there cannot be such a thing as a reputation non-call. Like a foul is a foul, and if you commit the foul, then you need to be called for the foul. If it's a, if it's if it falls under a technical foul, then you need to be called for a technical foul. Because a lot of people don't feel like it, this is a big issue, but I took a huge I had a huge problem with this when I was watching it. So I really feel like in in an NBA game, and I feel like most people would agree with this. Having momentum is a huge like that's a huge part of the game, right? Like. Like having momentum and like building momentum and like if you're up in the game, then it's easier for you to consistently play well. And like, you know, you know what I mean? Like if you have a lead and you have momentum, then you're, you're on a really good pace to win the game. Right. And then oftentimes, unless the other team completely bounces back, then you have a really good shot to win the game. Right. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. So I was watching the I was watching game five of the NBA finals. Right. And this this past season, 2017 NBA finals. Yeah. And Kevin, it's the second quarter. And there are, I think, four or five like somewhere between five and three minutes left in the uh, second quarter. Okay. Cleveland has all the momentum in the game and like, you know, they're up, they're up by, I think maybe 10 at this point in it. Like just the way that the Warriors were playing kind of sort of disengaged and like not really getting back on defense. Like it kind of seemed like a game that Cleveland could take, right? Like it, it, it had the flow of that game. Kevin Durant in the second quarter already had two fouls and LeBron James dunked like all over him. And it was, it was clear as day. Like it was, it was, there was no debate about it that Kevin Durant fouled him and that foul, actually, I think this might've been earlier in the second quarter. I think this might've been like eight minutes into the, in the second quarter left, whatever it may be, but he, it was a lot of time left in the second quarter basically. And he clearly fouled LeBron James, but he didn't, they didn't call a shooting foul on Kevin Durant. And the, you know, the commentators were kind of like, Oh, like that's, that's clearly a reputation non-call. They don't want to give Kevin Durant his third foul because then he'll get sad in the middle of the second quarter. But, like, you can't do that. Like, Kevin Durant committed a foul. You have to put Kevin Durant. You have to give him his third foul. Steve Kerr has to make the decision to take him out of the game. And then, like, you can't – like, if LeBron is playing and Kevin Durant's not guarding him and he doesn't have to guard Kevin Durant, then I, I feel like at that point the Cavaliers were completely positioned to win that game. Like, it, and I, like, I don't think that foul calls – like, foul calls are not only important at the end of games. Like, they're important throughout the game because if you give, like, like let's say you give three shooting foul calls that shouldn't have been shooting fouls and then the game ends up being decided by six points. Like, those six, six of those points wouldn't be there if they didn't shoot six free throws from three missed foul calls. Like, it always, it, like, missed calls all, always end up being a big deal in games that are close. And I think at this point, with the level of competition in the NBA, we're having more close games because, you know, every team is kind of getting a star and, like, Almost every team, I think, at this point has at least one good player. If, you know, a good young player or a good core, like, every team, I think, can win a game, like, depending on who they're playing, obviously. But, like, when you make little calls like that, like, all the time, like, it, it adds up. Like, like you, you completely alter, like, teams, like, records and, like, the playoff standings when you, when you do things like that. And Alvin Gentry, I think, had a really good point the other day. He was really upset because um, 
they lost a game sort of predicated on, on uh, missed foul calls and stuff like that. And it's like, he was saying like Anthony Davis is like, he's being hit, he's being grabbed and he's like, he's being thrown around all the time. But he, just because he's not complaining to the referees about not getting calls, he's not getting calls. And you can't officiate like that when you have guys who are fighting for playoff seating and fighting for playoff spots. Like, and I completely agree with that. Like, if you really look back on it, right, like in 2017, last season, right, if like you go through the Heat's, if you go through the Miami Heat schedule, right, I think they played they played the most games in the league that were decided under five points, right? Yeah. If you go back through their season and then you correct all the officiating calls, I guarantee that they probably would have a couple more wins to get them into the playoffs. Like if you corrected all the calls that would have went their way. So, I mean, I just think that the refereeing in the league really needs to be addressed as well. Um, I've noticed a little, it's been a little bit better since the all, like since the all-star break because the players association met with the referees association, but like they need to get everything under control with that because like I would absolutely despise it if I saw an NBA championship series or a playoff series or anything like that decided by referees, either not wanting to call a call because they feel like it's not right. And they want to let the players play quote unquote, like quote, like, no, like if it's a foul, then it's a foul. Like, that's it's the player's responsibility not to foul and regardless of how upset they get with you it's your it's literally your job like if you don't want to call foul calls then you should probably get in another line of work yeah and it's absolutely ridiculous i agree that like someone like kevin durant can get away with uh, not getting a third foul call on him just because it's an mpa finals game and you wouldn't want to uh, be taking too large of a role in deciding the game if you commit a foul you commit a foul and like it's gotten so bad that like I'm actually uh, thinking about if doing it based on just physics and saying oh if LeBron is tugged with x amount of newtons of force then maybe he should get a foul call for that just because I don't trust the NBA referees at this point and yeah as you're saying the reputation calls are getting completely out of hand and, like it well not even out of hand it's always been this way or someone like Shaq just because he's bigger is not going to get a foul call on him and it's going to have to be way more. And like someone like LeBron, whenever he drives to the basket almost, he's getting fouled, but he's not call getting a call every single time. Not that he should, but like I'm just saying, it's ridiculous that he's getting officiated different than, as we talked about in the first episode we recorded, Isaiah Thomas getting smacked around just a little bit and him getting a foul call. Like, it, I, I guess it's an argument in itself on if that's a fair system that they should have uh, different amounts of uh, contact required to have fouls triggered on them. But it, it seems pretty obvious that like, if you push somebody the same amount, it should be a foul call either way. But Exactly. Like, I mean, it's just oh, also, this is more breaking news, Joel Embiid will be out two to four weeks and could miss the first round. Oh, that's... Yeah, that's that shakes things up. That's yeah. weird. It puts the first round of playoffs in jeopardy. That changes things. Yeah, 76ers are out. The 76ers are out of Joel is not playing in the first round. Um, yeah, four, they play Indiana. Indiana, oh my God, that makes things much easier for Cleveland because Boston's already decimated within. Literally, Cleveland's only path at this point to the finals is Toronto. So that's wow. good news for Ron and company. I, 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 you know what? We started talking about how the East is a lot better this year. The East just fell apart. Yeah, the East just, yeah, John Wall and earlier, obviously, uh, Kyrie Irving. Yeah, injuries did kind of make the East fall apart, but. You know, but yeah, um, Dang, you, know, you never know. Maybe the referees could even it up. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that, that is a real shame. Yeah, that is. Um, the injuries, like I said, this year, the injuries have been worse than ever. DeMarcus Cousins is going to go on, Kyrie Irving, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, James Harden, Chris yeah. Paul. And like the worst thing, it's it's all been the playoff teams. Like the, literally the only injury I can think of in the entire NBA that hasn't happened to a playoff contender has been the, the Knicks losing Porzingis. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like everything else, like, um, and there have been some bad ones, too. like DeMarcus Cousins, like 
That yeah, was big. He might not and come back. Howard, that was big. Joel Embiid, this is big. Uh, Steph Curry, that's been big. Uh, Chris Paul, that was big. Or we thought it was big, I guess. It, I mean, who knows? Maybe if Chris Paul played all his games, they could have won 70 games. Yeah. And like they still might make 70 games. Well, no, probably not. But jeez, it, 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 it's ridiculous. Yeah, they're they're they'd be the best they can do now. I think is 68. But like, yeah, Chris Paul missed like 18 games. So you can't you, you can't tell me that they wouldn't have won two of them. Like, yeah, I mean, so. yeah, and he always misses like a, a, a couple games. But just to every other team, like everyone's got some injuries going on. You, even if you look at someone like the Bucks losing Jabari Parker for the entire season. Yeah, I think I can go through and just I I I know all players like there. Kyle Lowry has missed time. Kyrie Irving has missed time. Kevin Love has missed time. Uh, Joel Embiid is now missing time. Victor Oladipo has missed games. John Wall, um, Hassan Whiteside, uh, Giannis, and Jabari Parker. That's all teams in the East. Okay, and then in the that's all eight playoff teams in the East. And then in the West, you had Chris Paul and James Harden miss time. You had Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Kevin Durant all miss time. Portland, you've had Yusuf Nurkic miss a lot of time. Oklahoma City, you lost Andre Robertson for the year, who was a really big part of their defense. New Orleans, obviously, you had um, uh, DeMarcus Cousins. San Antonio, you've had Kawhi all year, and now you have Lamarcus Aldridge. And Tony Parker, for a lot of the year. Minnesota, you've had Jimmy Butler. Utah, you've had Rudy Gobert. Literally all 16 playoff teams have had injuries to one of their starting players. Yeah. Every single And I would love to see a study on uh, how many uh, games have actually been lost to uh starters versus reserves and it, if like it's a specific disparity between playoff teams and non-playoff teams this year because it's it, it is absolutely ridiculous that like it, all of these teams are getting hit with injuries and even still like it's not evening out if you just look at someone like the warriors versus someone like the heat like even the heat losing white side so gosh it's it, it's just absurd yeah i mean injuries this year have absolutely they've they kind of plagued everything that's been going on this year I mean, but I mean, at the end of the day, it is what it is. I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember any year actually where. Uh, I guess twenty sixteen was the last year where an injury didn't really derail anything in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that'd be the last one. But I mean, I guess you can't even really say that for sure because the whole uh, Steph Curry injury, people love to use as an excuse for why they didn't win the finals. But I mean, I don't agree with it. But everyone will find something. Yeah, and like you'll see uh, articles come out afterwards where, like originally he would say, "Oh, I'm a hundred percent heading into this Thunder series," or "Oh, I'm a hundred percent heading into the Cavs series," and then right after he loses, he's like, "Oh, I was actually seventy percent or sixty percent, and I was just kidding." But yeah, exactly. Like he he came out like a couple of days after the finals, and he said, "Okay, so like this is the hip, this is hypocrisy, right? Like this is stupid." Like. His first game back against the Portland Trailblazers from that MCL sprint, Steph Curry, he, he bellowed on the floor. He, he yelled, I'm back. He scored 41 points, and he set an NBA record for points in an overtime with 17 points in overtime. Okay? They won the game. They beat Portland in five games. I'll be, I'll be right back. i got to go to the bathroom. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. And uh, just uh, to continue, yeah. They, they went 4-1. and one. They beat Portland. He scored 17 points in overtime. He scored 41 or 44 or some, some really high total for the game. But then, um, every and he, he yelled, I'm back. No one was worried. He told the media and everything that he felt great. He felt fine. And then they had the seven-game series against Oklahoma City. And then they had the uh, seven-game series against Cleveland. And then they, when they lost to Cleveland, reporters asked him immediately after the game. And the first thing he said was, yeah, I wasn't 100%, but it doesn't matter. So I don't really understand why he would uh, go out on the floor and shout things like, I'm back. Um, and uh, all that stuff if he wasn't 100%. Because... I don't really feel like you can just one day be completely fine and then 
all of a sudden, uh, as soon as uh, you lose, it's uh, it's a problem. So that was just a little bit dumb. Um, the, one of the one of my least favorite things, as Ryan was just mentioning, is that uh, when players do something like, uh, "Oh no, now I'm I was this percent, or I was that percent, or I was this," or I mean, I don't even understand how you really even put a number on it. Like, on what basis do you say that you were eighty percent, or seventy percent, or sixty percent? Like, I mean, if you're like, you should play when you should only really. I feel like you should personally. I really feel like you should only play if you're one hundred percent. Unless obviously, like, but you know, obviously, sometimes there are things on the line and things that are more important to you, such as winning playoff series. And sometimes that can be commendable. Like, obviously, you have Chris Paul that one year in two thousand fifteen it was when he played uh, Game Seven against the Spurs with a hamstring injury. But I mean, that ended up being a problem anyway because then it just missed the second round and then they didn't make the finals. So, you know, you know, it goes both ways. But uh, um, as far as injuries go, um, yeah, it can be tough. But the playoffs this year will definitely uh, they'll, they'll be really, really impacted by uh, these injuries. Um, and uh, Kevin Love even. Kevin Love is in uh, concussion protocol. Uh, he missed the game against Charlotte last night. So um, hopefully that's not too big of an issue. Because All right, I'm back. Get reintegrated. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Sorry, I was, no, I was, I was talking about Kevin Love had uh, concussion. He's on concussion protocol. So he's also going to be out probably maybe two, three games. Yeah, and it's really unfortunate that that's going to happen. But, I mean... At least the Cavs are getting hurt by injuries too, I guess. Like, there's very little uh, shining lights here with the whole injury situation. But uh, I guess we should move past the injuries. They're sorrowful enough. And uh, something that I, I'm really curious to see what what you think about this, because we were just talking about it. I actually had one of my questions as, uh, do you think NBA referees should make fewer calls at the end of games? And would you like to see like an NBA where all the time in like the fr- uh, final five seconds of the of games, like uh, people were getting foul calls on them. Like if 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 Harden was going up for like a three point shot to win the game or something, and like it it was his typical uh, foul contact where he barely gets grazed when he gets a three point shot. Would you like to see the NBA start calling those, and even if it's in the final five seconds? Yes, I would because I feel like it's not. <coughs> sorry, I feel like it's not fair to the players uh, to have them have to play a different way in the last five seconds, like. <clears throat> even though a lot of people don't like James Harden's, you know, herky-jerky, whatever, dribbling, like, all this ISO stuff that he does, like, even though a lot of people don't like the way he plays, like, that's the way he plays, and he's very effective with it, so I don't think it's fair, like, you know, just using, just using James Harden as an example, obviously you could say this about multiple players in the league, but uh, him specifically, like, if you, if you took away uh, his ability to draw fouls entirely in the last, you know, whatever, 10, 5 seconds of a game, then he essentially has to change the way that he plays for the most important possession of the game which i just don't think is fair because like like a foul is a foul like if you get like the rule the rules are that like if you get fouled on a shoot on a shot you get three or two shots depending on where you took the shot from like and i just feel like it should be completely consistent my problem with nba referees isn't necessarily um that they make bad calls like obviously you're gonna make a bad call like that's okay but it's just that there's no consistency like we you know reputation calls reputation non-calls uh you know changing the rules like changing what you call a foul when the game is tighter like the term that's like letting the players play like no like you you should be consistent because that's all the players want to like even like even players have said i'm I'm not mad about a bad call like 
obviously you would love to not have a bad call, but it's not about having a bad call. It's about not getting consistent calls. So like, I don't understand why it's like, and like makeup calls too. Like when you know, when referees know that they miss one, so they end up calling one on your, like, that's also dumb. Like, cause like you can't do any of these things when you have players who are fighting for something more important. And like, maybe the only, like, I, I just like refereeing, I think should just be consistent completely. Like every game throughout the season, no matter what the time is on the shot clock, no matter who's playing, like, there should just be specific rules. Like if a player is touched on the elbow or whatever the rule is, when they're going up for a shot, then they should be awarded two foul shots. Um, like well, all the rules, right? And uh, I was watching a little bit of the Celtics jazz game last night and uh, Jeff Van Gundy was talking about this and he talks a lot, but sometimes he makes some good points. And yesterday he was saying like, like the clear path foul, right? Yeah. It's like, apparently like, it's like the worst call, like in the, like, I think you get the, you get the, uh, it's a turnover, you get the and you get the ball back or something. Like it's like a it's a turnover and the other team gets the ball back uh at half court, like they get to inbound um under their own hooper, whatever it is. And like that rule shouldn't be that much different than a simple foul in transition when a guy is all by himself. Like, you know, and they people do that all the time to slow down fast breaks and stuff. So I just I just wish refereeing was consistent because like there's no like Le- like LeBron James, right? Like he goes to the rim so many times, but it's literally like a fifty-fifty coin flip whether or not he's going to get a foul call. Like it, it really doesn't make any sense. Like why is it that sometimes when he drives and he gets grabbed, he gets called, and then sometimes when he drives and people grab him, he doesn't. Like and you can't do that thing where it's like, oh, he's LeBron. I expect him to finish that. Like you, yeah. you can't do that. Like James, like if LeBron drives as hard as, and I'm not sure if he drives as many times as, but he definitely drives with enough power and force and like you know, uh, intent to score the ball as James Harden does, but James Harden shoots 10 free throws a game. And LeBron, I think shoots six, something like that. Like, and LeBron is driving more this year than he has. I think this is the third most drive attempts per game of his career. I'm not entirely sure, but it's one of, it's one of the higher ones. And he's shooting, I think the, one of the lower, lowish three free throw attempts of his career. So it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and LeBron made a comment about, uh, about the officiating that I completely agree with. And he said that there are more like the the refereeing now is more aimed to protect the shooter. Like, you know, you have you have rules about closeouts, which you should obviously, and like you like a, a simple tap on the elbow after a player gets their shot off completely is all automatically called a uh, three point foul, a three point uh, three free throws. So, you know, like it's just there. The rules now are just weird and like. I, like that's the reason why I feel like you should be able to reverse calls, right? Or even like the NFL has this where you can challenge a flag, right? Like you can challenge yeah. a call. Like a, an NBA coach should, like a head coach should maybe get like maybe you give them like two cha- like one challenge a quarter, right? Where like or, you know maybe not a quarter, like maybe you give them like two challenges in the last. Uh, you give them one challenge in the last two minutes of each quarter, something something like that, whatever it may be. Like you could you could you know figure that out. However, but like for example, like. Can you imagine how effective it would have been if Teron Lue could have called a challenge on the play where LeBron was fouled by Kevin Durant in the last, you know, or in the NBA Finals when they had momentum, right? And uh, and um, he could have challenged to get that sh- uh, shooting foul on uh, Kevin Durant, right? So, like, I-, I feel like something like that, there's just something that, that makes it so that the calls can be changed because, like, it doesn't make any sense that you can you can reverse possession of the ball, you can change time on the clock, you can change whether you count something as three or two, 
you can change a flagrant one to a flagrant two. You can call something a regular foul. A, you can call something a common foul or a clear path foul. But for some reason, you can't revert. Like you can't take away a foul call. Like just because you call it on the floor and then you go and you review it and then you see obviously that it's not a foul. Why is it that that has to stand a foul? Like it doesn't make any logical sense. So that's basically my biggest problem with officiating is that there's no consistency and that it's all over the place. And they sort of like referees can literally just change the outcome of a game based on how well they do their job, which is just ridiculous. And like to a degree, that's always going to be that's always going to be the case to a degree. But there's definitely things that can be done to mitigate it. And uh, I just don't see any of them getting done, which is just irritating as a as a fan. Yeah. So uh, right now I'm going to bring my uh, refereeing uh, experience into this because I think that'll really help out. You guys are going to be getting a lot of this in the next week. I'm doing a podcast with Logan uh, on uh, Monday, I believe, where we're almost exclusively exclusively going to be discussing our experiences in soccer refereeing. But I guess you're going to get a sneak preview of that. Yeah. So for me, so for me, like the the whole thing where like you're letting players play at the end of games, I've never understood that. Maybe it's just the soccer thing, but it it seems it, it seems like if you see a foul call, you call it like. Could you imagine in like the last uh, five minutes of like a, a soccer match, you, someone's offsides and you don't call the offsides? Like that, that that's that's insane. If you even know what that means, but like it would just be it, it'd be bizarre. And like the fact that in other sports we uh, treat it differently, we say, "Oh, you just got contacted," but it's the end of the game, so you should be able to push through it. That's ridiculous. Now the makeup call thing that that one's that one's bad. Like if as a referee you think you actually screwed up a call, it is really hard to referee unbiased from that point on. Like I I've had experiences where uh like a coach will uh I, I've had one coach where uh, he had a really bad habit of uh I don't even know if it's a habit or maybe he's just an asshole or something. He would he would always like with with his fingers like when he thought he saw a foul call he would like yeah, get his fingers and like blow blow a whistle with it. And like that, that would really piss me off. And like when like a bad foul call happened right in front of him, I refused to make the foul call. And that 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 was a really bad thing to do. I probably shouldn't have done it, but like it, it's incredibly difficult to referee um in an unbiased way. And, and that's what really separates the really good refs from the bad ones. And that's why the people in the NBA who like the top of the flight refs. They have to be on their game, and like part of the problem is with the refereeing uh, union. I don't know if this is the way it is in the NBA, but in other sports leagues, it definitely is. the The refereeing union makes it incredibly difficult to fire a referee based on their uh, performance. <coughs> so, like, if you have a crappy uh, referee, I know there's like in the MLB, there's always like this one umpire that cannot get fired because the union refuses to let him be fired based on his performance because they're like, oh, well, he's allowed to call the strike zone how he wants. If it's bad, that's his decision. So, like, it's very hard to fire someone based on poor performance, so you just get these crappy refs that are in the league year after year. And if you look at someone like, uh, I don't know who that female referee is, like, she she's not bad, but if all of a sudden, like, she just turned into, like, the worst NBA ref out there, it would be very difficult for the the league to fire her because the refereeing union would contend, oh no, she's female. Are you firing her because she's well, female? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Like, it would be incredibly difficult to do that. And you see that every time there's even comments made from the players, like, oh, she was uh, not listening to uh, what the coach was saying or something. And they're like, oh, you just said that because she's female. Exactly. That's one of my most irritating. Like, Lauren Holcamp, I know you just said she's not that bad a referee. And, you know, obviously, you know, subjective, but. 
like a lot of the games that like she seems really like she seems too like she seems too engaged emotionally like and it's because like I, it has nothing to do with the fact that she's female like she she makes she makes uh technical foul calls like just kind of whenever like dream like draymond green is notoriously like an emotional player but there was one play specific he his mouth was bleeding like he he was he was literally bleeding and he was talking to lauren holkin and he was being calm like he was like like why didn't you call that like i'm literally bleeding like someone hit me in the face and you didn't call a foul like he was just trying to get an explanation and she was like draymond 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 i can't talk to you stop talking to me like you can't do that like and like I completely like that's one of the most irritating things to me is when people say that she can't referee. Like if if I'm if I, if someone's critiquing her on her refereeing ability, it has nothing to do with the fact that she's a woman. It's literally just that she didn't make the right call or she's not. You know, like 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 you're saying, yeah, like that that's completely true. Yeah, and it's incredibly difficult to criticize someone in that situation, especially because he, even if she was one of the worst refs in the league, I don't know that the NBA should necessarily get rid of her just because. It's such an important thing to have her stick around just so that uh, women are even looking at uh, being referees at the highest level. Like, just from my experience, even uh, doing uh, soccer refereeing at the lowest level, like, it's something like 20 to uh, 15 to 20 percent of referees are female. And that's at the absolute lowest level where, like, there's, and basically nobody cares if you do a good job and, like, I mean, obviously yeah. you'll get yelled at or something, but if you leave the, after you leave the game, nobody's going to remember that you had a bad game or something. And like even still, yeah. you see very few female involved in it. So, like it, it comes like it also like parallels the really weird issue of affirmative action, where like should you uh, be allowing uh, people of uh, race that uh, has historically performed worse into a uh, college just so that you can uh, get them to uh, in a Booker T. Washington sense cast down their bucket. Exactly. See, like, yeah, but like, I, the one thing, like, and tell me if you agree with this. So I think that for prior, prior to the playoffs, right, the, whoever's at top of the NBA, like, whatever, like, whoever the people are, like, the league office or whoever it may be, they need to go through, they need to go through the, the foul, like, for, like, and this, this is going to sound extremely excessive, but they need to go through every single game officiated by every single referee and they need to determine who called the most correct calls and who called the least incorrect calls because that's that's just it's literally like statistics for referees like who makes the best calls who's the best referees who made the most correct calls and who made the most incorrect calls and then all the referees who made all the the most correct calls those are the officials that you need in the playoffs those are the officials that you need especially in the nba finals like the three best referees in the league in terms of who made the most correct calls and, you know, combined with basically the percentage of their calls that was, that were correct. Right. And then there should be like a minimum criteria for how many calls, right? Like, let's say like, I don't know how many foul calls are in a game, but whatever, like there needs to be like a minimum criteria of how many calls you made. And then the, the, the referees who called the highest percentage of correct calls, the three highest should be the three referees who officiate every NBA finals game. You can pay them more to do it. You can like, whatever it may be, if they don't want to try, like, I, I'm not sure if I've seen this entirely because I haven't paid that much attention to the referees in the two NBA finals that I've watched, but I'm not entirely sure that they keep the same referees throughout the series, but you, I really feel like you should because, you know, with all the dumb stuff that they have in the league where it's like, oh, like feel of the game and like, you know, reputation calls and makeup calls and all that stuff. If you're a referee, right, like then like if you if you're officiating the whole series, then you get much more consistency in the series because it's the same referees making the same calls and they're more likely to call the same calls, right? Like, yeah. So then like, 
basically a player will know, right? Like if they start a series in game one and, uh, and the ref didn't give them a call, then they know kind of what to avoid. And they kind of know like, okay, like, okay, like he's not going to call that. Like I can do, try something different. Like obviously that's not the way it should be, but it's just, it's another advantage for the players to make it a more like proper series, like just so they get a better feel of the series. So I, I, it would definitely be excessive to have to go through every single call made, obviously, but they should start taking, they should start keeping tab of that after every single game so that it's not such a grind when you go back through it. And like the best referees need to be in the most important games. And not to say that every game isn't important, but obviously when guys like games that are like, you know, like a few nights ago, the Spurs were playing the jazz and like, even like the bleacher report and ESPN, they were all defined. They, uh, they were all describing it as uh, an, an extremely important game for playoff seating. Like games like that, you need to have better refs. Like you need to have the better, like, you can't just have the worst ref in the league who's made more incorrect calls than every other ref in the league be officiating more important games. Like you can't have that. Um, so I really think that this is something that should be looked at. And while I'm on this topic, another thing, this also might seem a little strange to say, but I feel like it's extremely important. All referees, I think they should have, like, I'm not sure, I'm, maybe they already have this and I, we just don't know about it. I think referees should have physicals done to make sure that they can properly and like in a timely fashion. Yeah, that's all, that's already done. Huh? That's already done. Like they test them for their physical. And, uh, and like they test like, do they test their eyes and everything too? I don't know about the eyes, but I know they test like their cardio and make sure that they can actually keep up with the players and like. Okay. Yeah, because like, like Joey Crawford, like when he <laughs> in his last couple, like, there's no way. Like, that's the like that's the thing that you were talking about firing referees, right? Like. You can't fire Joey just because he's getting old, but at the same time, you can't put Joey out there in important games when he can't get up the floor. Like, you can't. And I don't know about the eyes, but I've never seen an NBA official wearing glasses. And they need to have their eyes be 20-20 so they can properly see everything so they don't get blurred vision. And, like, when, when players start collapsing off a of, off of pick and roll, like, like referees, th that entire issue needs to be addressed. Like, in terms of who makes the best calls, the most correct calls, the best percentage of correct calls their physical standings, their, like, their, their vision, like, and, like, yeah, like, I'm sure maybe Joey Crawford passed his physical when he started being an NBA referee in 1980 or whatever, but he was refing up until 2015, and you can't tell, like, I, I can't believe that, like, you couldn't convince me that his cardio did not drop at all in 30 years, like. Yeah, no, and I understand that concern, and at least in soccer, I can't say if this is true in the NBA, though I would think it would be. You have to, every year, you get reassessed on, for like what grade you are, like there's one through eight on like what grade you are, and that determines uh, what level of uh, soccer you're allowed to do, like Premier League, uh, U.S. National Games, uh, just Premier, uh, Academy Games, Travel Games, whatever. And like you have to, you have to get your uh, physical uh, physicals checked, and you have to be able to do like a certain time in like a man U sprint, which is yeah, basically just uh, suicide sprints. You, you have to be able to I'm sure, like, there's an eye test or something. So, like, they do that every year in soccer. And, like, I, I don't know if they do that in the NBA, but if they don't, they definitely need to be. Because, yeah, you can't have someone like Joey Crawford tripping over his own feet and, like, trying to get up the court and then missing a call because of it. And, like, another thing, like, uh, James Harden complained about this earlier in the year. Like, there was a game that he was playing against the Clippers, I think, and every NBA, every standard NBA game is refereed by three officials. Their game only had two referees. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, and everyone, every like everyone on every talk show and like every like sports radio, like everyone was saying, "Oh, come on, like that's not a big deal." Like, yes, it is. Like, if if like how do you like a th like 
because sometimes when there's a call on the floor, all three referees convene and they talk about it and yeah. you know they talk about like you know what whatever it is like they 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 reference like they go to each other for reference on certain calls when one of them didn't see it right. If you have three, obviously that changes it from being two. And like if I if I'm a player right, like obviously I want the best chance of getting the correct calls. So like and the fact that the NBA didn't even see an issue with that was kind of that was upsetting to me because like like you're a professional league and like you, you don't have like a, I guess you should have maybe at least one backup referee or something like in case something happens, like whatever it is, or honestly, maybe you can implement four referees into every game, like, you know, two on each side of the court or whatever it may be. So that way that like, uh, you know, that way when, um, like, you know, when you're, when teams are in transition, you can have like a, some, like a referee, you can see everything from behind, from one side, from the other side. And then, from uh, you know, looking at them head on or whatever it is, like I think three is. I don't really know if it always covers like the entire you know range of range of vision or whatever it is, but like I don't know. There's, they just need to figure something out, and like they just they really need to be able to I guess get clearer looks and stuff. Uh, maybe just have another set of eyes, like because like I mean, this 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 happened a long time ago, but like there are legitimate arguments as to like Dirk Nowitzki would have two NBA championships if it weren't for referees in two thousand six. Well, they still they still would have screwed up the calls because I'm sure they were on orders from the league. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you know about the whole 2006 conspiracy? Yeah. With the heat. Yeah. 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 Like that kind of thing. But like, like you don't screw still, up that yeah, many. Yeah, calls. I guess in that case, I guess it wouldn't really help that they'd be on orders from the league. But still, like, I mean, what? Like in simple games when it really is the referee's fault. Like I can just think of instances right off the top of my head where I looked where I was watching a game and I was like, like, wow, like the refs completely screwed up that game. Like. This was, I think, last season, or maybe it was this season. No, I think it was last season because it was, was this was the beginning of last season. The Warriors were playing the Pelicans, and Draymond Green clearly had a reach and a foul on Anthony Davis that ended up costing them the game. Anthony Davis, who never yells at the referees, was clearly pissed off. He started yelling at the refs, and he was correct. He definitely got fouled, so he started yelling at the ref. So the, the Warriors had the ball, and then he got a technical foul call, and then the Warriors got the ball back because there was a turnover, right? So the Warriors turned... The, the, the Pelicans were leading by one, and then it ended up being a four-point swing the other way because of the technical foul, and then Steph Curry hit the three, and then they ended up losing the game. The Pelicans ended up losing the game. So, like, when you have stuff like that, like, it's just like, if I, if, like, I personally, by nature, I'm not that competitive of a, of, a, of a person, but if you're in the NBA, you're obviously competitive, and that probably drives you crazy that, like, something that's 100% out of your control is dictating how well you're able to do. Like, that would drive me insane if I was if I was super competitive, so... I just think that the refereeing situation in the league, complete, like it needs to be completely, like it needs to be completely reevaluated, just in terms of everything. Yeah, and honestly, with that whole thing about the technical fouls, I wonder if they should just make it so, literally, like you can't give a technical foul for a, re- a player talking to a ref in a way the ref doesn't like it. Like it, it, the point of the technical foul is for players that are either flagrantly <coughs> fouling somebody or like they actually touch the ref. But if the if the player's just like uh, chewing the ref out about a bad call, you accept it and you move on. You don't give them the other team some points. Like that's a, that's a big deal. Like I couldn't imagine if like somebody hated my call my call on the field and then I just said, okay, let's uh, give them possession down the field and let's give them a direct free kick from this point. Like that's ridiculous. Exactly. Like and also like I mean I guess maybe to a degree like if the player is being like ridiculously like if you know if they're like swearing at you like intensely and like saying like the f word like twenty times well, at like, that point like, like their team would come over and just pull them over. Yeah, yeah, right. But like I mean, I guess like I agree with you to the sense that you cannot like 
maybe there, there maybe there could be a limit maybe like you can only call one or something because like there have been some games where like they give like refs are just getting like joey crawford we were just talking about him he gave tim duncan a technical foul yeah i saw that yeah the bench. like how how can you do that and then you i don't think you should be able to give a referee a technical foul unless they're like trying to physically approach you doc rivers had an issue with that one time but like greg popovich is an extremely emotional head coach you can't give him a technical foul and award the other team points and then kick him out of the game because and another thing you shouldn't be able to eject just because of two technical fouls like that's ridiculous because like Draymond Green right is an extremely important player so um to the Warriors so just because he swears at you twice you can't give him two technical fouls and kick him out of the game in the second quarter because your your feelings are hurt like you can't affect outcomes of a game because of your bias or because of your sensitivity or anything like that like I don't know. Like, there's, there's just so many things that need to be addressed. Or, you know, and, like, th- like, this is another one of those things that I was talking about that the NBA could definitely fix if they took the time to do so. Like, they should just send, like, a message out to every single NBA team that, like, for every time that you are seen or reported, at, uh, like, refs should get to, like, refs should get to do, like, a write-up after the game. And, like, kind of like when you had a substitute teacher in elementary school and they would write down, like, anything that any student did that was bad. They could write down like any player that like swore at them or anything, and they could be like on a. I guess you wouldn't do it on an honor system, but like whatever. And then just you could just find players every time that they have a like that you can see them yelling at the ref or something or like because basically any time that there's an intense altercation between a player and a referee, you can see it because you'll see the you'll see like the ref the player approaching the referee and like yelling at them or whatever. So anytime you see any sort of misconduct like that, you can just find them. But like awarding the other team points. Because of something that has absolutely nothing to do with basketball makes no sense. You know what? I, I completely agree with you there. And it, it is abs- just the concept of it is absolutely ridiculous of the technical foul. Now, my, my thing with the two technical fouls, meaning you're out, I, I think if we got rid of these uh, petty technical fouls, like where, yeah, uh, yeah, like yeah. if you have something like uh, Ben Wallace just looking at the ref wrong and he gets a technical foul, if we got rid of that, I think two technical technical fouls yeah, and you're yeah, out of yeah, yeah. that's, that's I agree with that. That's what I meant. Like I meant in the sense of like, yeah. like, like you were saying, like if they physically touch the ref twice, then of course, yes, definitely technical foul. Yeah, you can kick them out of the game. Or if, like, they flagrantly foul someone or, like, do something completely unnecessary, like, aim to harm a player, like, then, yes, like, that makes sense. But um, I think, I mean, flagrant flagrant one fouls, in my opinion, flagrant one fouls, um, the penalty for them, I think, is a little excessive. Uh, isn't it two free throws in possession of the ball? Yeah, I I think that's fine. Like, if you see some of those I fake ones. I, I think that a flagrant one, like. Maybe, like, def- one free throw? Maybe one, yeah, like, because, I mean, like, two free throws in possession of a ball can be, like, that can be a five-point swing just because you accidentally hit someone in the face. Like, well, do you, I mean... I don't really see those uh, flagrant one fouls that are, like, they seem super petty. Like, do you see those often? Uh, not, like, I guess not recently, but a couple, a couple months ago, I was watching a game where um, Blake Griffin, I, he accidentally, like, he... It was it was clearly an like it was clearly an accident like it was plain as day like he was in the air and he was just coming down and his forearm he hit Taj Gibson across the face and he ended up getting ejected like oh. how can you do that like you know that like I just think maybe like maybe you can keep the penalties the same like two free throws on the ball but like like it doesn't really make sense to me the only difference between a flagrant one and a flagrant two is that with a flagrant two the player gets ejected but the basketball penalty is the same why is that like it that like why do you even call it a flagrant one and flagrant two if flagrant two is like the classification to have a flagrant two is different? Like, 
I think the only difference is that a flagrant two has to show intent, and then a flagrant one does not. And then flagrant two, you get ejected, and then flagrant one, you don't. Mm. I, well, first of all, how, how was your intent in that uh, Blake Griffin play? I That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm like, that's, this just goes back to the entire thing that we were just saying about referees and just kind of choosing what to, like, there wasn't any intent. Like, he was, but I guess the referees viewed it as though he was intentionally, like, on his way, fall, like, on his way down, he was, like, aiming to hit his forearm in Taj Gibson's face. But, I mean, like, honestly, like, basically, what I would equate that to is, did you see the play yesterday where Markel Fultz fell into Joel Embiid's head? Oh, yeah. yeah. It'd be like them calling a technical foul on Markel Fultz for hurting his own teammates. Yeah, that's... that's oh, ridiculous. also, this was another ridiculous thing while we're on that note. The There was a game in Minnesota where they gave they gave Tom Thibodeau a technical foul for yelling at his own player. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's, it's funny, but it's ridiculous. Yeah, no, it's, it's like, terrible. Like, really can you, like, he, was, he was yelling at Carl Anthony Towns or something, and they gave him a technical foul for yelling at his own player. Like, that's ridiculous. I, I want to see the video of that. I, I want to see what uh, Thibodeau was like when it with the breath. Yeah, he. I, I don't. I don't remember how he reacted. Can I do my job? Yeah, like actually, like seriously though. Like I mean, the refereeing situation is is kind of gotten out of hand. Hand, but uh, I mean, like, I guess at the end of the, there's always going to be problems with the refs, but there just definitely shouldn't be this many. Yeah. So uh, I never really got a chance to address most of those point at, points actually. So I'm just going to go back through some of those. So uh, on the point that uh, NBA and the NBA should uh, rank the refs for the, for every game instead of just the final two minutes, and then based on that assemble them to uh, uh, formulate the playoff crews instead of doing it based on uh, seniority, basically. Uh, I definitely agree with that, but the problem there is the refereeing union already has a huge problem with the two-minute the two-minute report, and I don't know how the NBA would uh, be able to get away with uh, uh, ranking the refs the entire time and then having it determine the playoff thing. Like I could see there being a referee strike based on that, because like if you think about it, the the NBA refs are completely within their power there, and if you're a ref, you do not want that happening. Yeah, but, uh, I suppose, but I mean. Like, at some point, the referees, I feel like, should also want integrity of the game. And, like, if you made that many mistakes, then you should be willing to understand that you don't to get, you don't get to, you, you don't deserve to ref an NBA Finals if you made that many mistakes. Like, it's literally just like any other aspect of life. Like, if you make that many mistakes, you don't get to do what you want, so. Sure, but it, it's very hard to determine what I, yeah. what is a foul and what isn't a foul already. And then to have the you know, referee's livelihood staked on the fact that the league happens to agree with you on a specific foul call is... Is weird because, like, especially with some of those, like, let's use the LeBron example again. LeBron's going up to the rim, and there's like just this amount of contact, and you're right on the edge on if it should be a foul call or not. And the league sees LeBron as like they somebody that shouldn't be deserving of extra foul calls, while this particular ref agrees with us, and he's like, no, if you get a specific amount of force against you, then you should have the foul call for you. Then this ref is getting penalized because of how he sees the rule set. And he's not necessarily wrong in his view, but he's being penalized as if he was. I, I'm not. See, I'm not saying it's a good. It's not a good policy to rank him, but I'm saying it's a very difficult process. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying, but my the reason, like, the only reason that the only way I can see it working is because the sample size would be so large that I feel like there would probably there wouldn't be that. Like, there'd probably maybe like thirty instances a season where a ref has like, you know, for each ref. So like. Given how many foul calls they call, like it's like, I guess it would sort of even out with how many good calls they've made because, to some degree, like with the sample size of 82 games and then 
you know, plus the playoffs when you're deciding refs for the NBA finals. Um, then to like, I think that I like, I, again, like I agree with you. It'd be a completely difficult process because like the, the referee, the referees association really seem they seem like a really sensitive, like, I mean, like, like, I don't understand why, like, if you made the wrong call and it cost the team the game, then I'm sorry, but you should be criticized because you cost the team the game. Like, you know, like it doesn't really make any sense. And they don't even call out the referees by name or anything. Like they just say ref this, like referees, there was, they don't address, they, they don't call out a referee and say like Joey Crawford or, you know, Monty Boyd, like whatever. Like they don't, they did not, they made the wrong call or like they always, they just say that a wrong call was made. Like they never call out the ref. So I don't really understand why they're so sensitive about the two minute report, but I, you're right. Like it, they are super, like they really don't like to be attacked. Um, so it would be very difficult, but at the end of the day, I feel, I personally feel like it'd be a big enough sample size to, um, to choose, but they would, they would be really opposed to it. That is true. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you're right. They, they are super sensitive to it, but I, I feel like this is the same argument for, uh, just in all these sports leagues and negotiating where you never want to give up any power that you have, even if you think that you're wrong in having that power. Like if you look at something like, uh, uh, MLB, where like you have these uh, crazy uh, rule, uh, rules for like uh, how you ha- how you can pay a minor league players, where you can go way below the minimum wage and like pay them like ten thousand dollars a year or whatever they're making, uh, which is clearly illegal and uh, should be punished under law. But because of the antitrust exemption within the Supreme Court, the MLB gets uh, to get away with it, and you'll never hear an owner complain about this system because they're like, well, it gives us power and it gives us more money, so why should we complain about something that helps us? And like it's it's super hard to be moral in a system like this, and when you're trying to create a moral system where uh, people are uh, uh, meritally uh, are awarded uh, playoff games based on their merits and like how how good they were in the season, that's really difficult. But no, I I agree. If if uh, somehow you're in an ideal system or the NBA union, the re- refereeing union can get behind this, and like the NBA can give some concession to the referees maybe more pay or something, then sure, like that, that'd be fantastic. But I, it, that's really difficult to pull off. And l- luckily, I think the NBA doesn't have to worry about it nearly as much as other leagues. Like if, if you look at the baseball with someone like Angel Her- Hernandez, where literally every year he's refereeing, eh, umpiring the World Series, and like he's doing a horrible job, and you can't get rid of the guy. Like it, it gets a lot worse than what the NBA has. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, so that that's a uh, ranking. Um, I I don't really remember any of. Oh, oh yeah, there was this point. So, uh, uh, something that really irks me about NBA games is when. Uh, so you know how like in the final two minutes or whatever it is, whenever the ba- a basket gets scored, the clock stops and then it starts again once the ball's inbounded. Yeah, that really annoys me. That that's not done for the entire game. Because, like, you'll, you'll be watching the game, and, like, it won't happen. Like, they'll just keep the clock running, and it just feels feels like it's BS. Like, oh, okay, why are we bothering to do this at the end of the game, then, if we're not going to do it for the entire game? Is it just you don't actually care about the time? And if you don't actually care about the time, what, what are we doing here? Yeah, I mean, the refs just, uh, the, honestly, just thinking about it is just, it's irking because, like, there are just so many things that aren't, and like another thing, this is a little bit, I mean, this is, I guess in a way it's related, but not entirely. Like, I feel like the, either, either the NCAA or the NBA, they like, they need to adjust their rules. I think in a little bit of accordance, like to one another, because like, 
like NBA, like college players who come into the league are like they're used to a completely different set of rules. So it's like you know, like all the stuff with like defensive three seconds and the like the inbounding thing. That you actually, were just it, can you about. summarize the difference in the rules? Because I actually don't know any of them. Okay, so basically in the NCAA, so uh, you know how you were just saying that like after an inbound, like sometimes they like they take time off the. You know what I'm saying? Like the like what you were just saying. Yeah, like the sometimes the clock is stopped and sometimes it's not. Yeah, so in the in the NCAA, the clock is never stopped. Like after a shot, like they, they don't stop the clock when like while you're inbounding. Like time runs while you inbound the ball. Oh my god! So like like it's 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 stressful. Like so basically, like I was watching a game right, and like uh, it was a uh, it was the game you know Loyola Chicago hit that game winning shot, but after the shot went through the net, um, there was still like point four seconds. But because time keeps running, the player, like, he didn't have enough time to inbound the ball and stop the clock. Point, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like, your time to inbound the ball is part of game time, which I think makes sense. So that's different. In the NCAA, they always keep the clock running. In the NCAA, you get five, um, five fouls before you're fouled out instead of six. Yeah, which um, makes sense and, based on the time. And defensive three seconds is not a rule in college. Hmm. So, because, um, <clears throat> you know, they allow zone in college. They don't allow it in the NBA. But, um, yeah, to some extent, yeah, and uh, so like, and th- there are some other smaller ones that I'm not entirely sure because I don't watch that much college basketball, but I just feel like the rules should be in accordance with one another because, um, <clears throat> and uh, because, like, just for players who are just entering the league, right? Like, it would just, I think it would make it easier for them to do a little bit better because, I mean, like, with players who are adapting to a completely new thing, being in the NBA, I guess every advantage that they can get makes it a little bit easier, so, um. Yeah. Oh, one second, Ryan. I'm going to mute my mic. My mom is calling me. Yeah, sure. And, and no, I, I, I'm i with Rod there. It makes absolutely no sense that the two... Well, you know what? It makes complete sense because the NCAA is by no means into, uh, required to have the same rule set as the NBA. It's two completely different entities. But it doesn't make it weird when the NBA is trying to support college basketball by keeping uh, NBA players to uh, within the college system for at least one year for uh, rules like the one-and-done rule. That's a little weird, but uh, at least it seems like that's going to be gotten rid of in the coming years. It seems like Adam Silver isn't particularly on board with that, but we'll see. With Adam Silver, as we mentioned earlier, he he has a lot of good ideas, but he doesn't implement very many of them. But uh, yeah, it is weird that they have two completely different systems. I It's better than college football to uh, just uh, NFL football, but it, it still sounds pretty bad. Uh, with the defensive free second rule, it seems like you you should have... You know, I'm not actually sure. I, I, I'm going to have to ask Rod if he thinks that you should have to get out of the paint or not for after standing it for three seconds, because that's an interesting thing. That does sound like a holdover from the NBA's uh, anti-zone uh, rules from uh, prior to the 2001-2002 uh, season, where you literally couldn't stand between two players without defending either of them. And that was something that we brought up in our arguments on why uh, Michael Jordan had an easier time in the NBA than LeBron does today, not having his own defense, and why, at the very least, we should be uh, uh, why we should be uh, uh, viewing him the same. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's re- that's really weird. And uh, here, let me just text Arati. Let me know that he has to uh, go help his grandfather with something. So let me let him know. Uh, uh, cool, I'll vamp for five minutes. So I'll, I'll just let you guys know, uh, I was uh, planning on having uh, Samson on on Friday, uh, but not Friday, uh, Monday, but uh, I had to reschedule because I 
I found out that I was having a uh, college trip to a Case Western, uh, a school that I applied to, uh, and uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, like it's it's been interesting because I had to reschedule on Wednesday as well because uh, uh, flight deck got delayed for getting back. Uh, we we're planning on talking about our experiences together as partners uh, for uh, Gizman, but uh, yeah, that went great uh, at Gizman. Uh, we actually won head delegate, which was amazing. I've been trying to win head delegate for like essentially all the years that I've been doing Gizman, and the best I was able to get before was just a vocational award, which that's kind of crappy. That's basically fifth place out of like 20 uh, people, so you know that's not great, but you know, I, I, we're super proud that we actually won it, and uh, he got a gavel, I got a certificate, and yeah. But uh, I suppose we should probably get back to the NBA. So I'm planning on uh, recording with Rod in a week and a half. He's going on like some siesta for spring break. No clue what that is. I, I never am involved in that kind of stuff, but, uh, you know, whatever. And uh, I'm also recording with Zach Sherman uh, in a week and a half. I haven't recorded with him since the NBA All-Star Special. We all get busy schedules, I guess. But the plan for that is we're going to go straight into uh, a LeBron James debate because I really have been waiting to have that with him. It should be fascinating. I'm really hoping he's going to be uh, objective about it. And what I'm afraid that's going to happen, to be honest, is he's just going to have he's just going to say, you know what, I have this view of LeBron James because I think he's a bitch or whatever he's going to say, which makes it, it basically shuts down the argument because I, I can't dispute his view of his personality. I mean, all I can say to him is that doesn't matter in judging a superstar and the best player ever, and he can respond with, oh, it matters to me. I, there's not much I can do about that, but I'm confident I can prove to him that LeBron James has not only set himself up to be more successful than... Michael Jordan in terms of uh, career accomplishments, but also statistics, in terms of being a better player, being a better person. And yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes, but we'll also uh, talk about the playoffs because uh, as I was saying with Rod earlier, playoffs are going to start pretty much right after those two recordings. And we're planning on just going through every single uh, matchup and looking at it position by position, maybe talking about how each of the players has been, maybe doing like a uh, bench versus bench or something. And just seeing how that goes, I'm super interested to see how that is. But I'm a little more, dis uh, a little less excited to do that now, seeing as the Eastern Conference has basically fallen apart in the process of recording this thing. I believe me, I don't know how that happened, but yeah, it seems like 76ers are starting to fall apart now without Embiid. No clue why he's not playing with that facial fracture, but whatever. Celtics have completely fallen apart. They lost. Obviously, Gordon Hayward's been gone the entire year. Kyrie Irving just left. I think they had one other injury as well. And uh, yeah, what else? Um, yeah, all the other teams are doing okay. Uh, obviously, John Wall's taking his time coming back, but that doesn't really hurt them that much. Barry Parker's been gone for the Bucks. So yeah, I'm still excited to watch the Eastern Conference playoffs, but much more so the West right now. Uh, my plan for the playoffs is every year I always say that I'm going to watch every single playoff game in the NBA, and I, I never end up doing it. I've The farthest I've ever gotten, I think, was like a couple games, uh, like three games, sevens left in the first round, and I just couldn't do it anymore because, you know, when you're watching the NBA, you're looking at an average uh, series length of 5.5 just based on, uh, obviously, the average uh, return, uh, the literally the X bar of the sample set. You have four, five, six, seven. You just average this out and you get 
you multiply that by 8 and you get, uh, what is that, that's uh, 11 times 4, so 44 games. Uh, 41 games alone is a lot. But yeah, and like the additional problem is I always fall behind a couple days. Because like that, that's my other problem. I always like to be one or so days behind, the, or like a couple hours behind the live content, just because I always have a big problem with when I'm all caught up. I always worry that I'm gonna want to watch it more and just not have anything to watch. But yeah, so like it, it's it becomes super hard because like in the first round you'll have like four games in one night, and that's 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 a lot of commitment. Especially when you're looking at, like, even if you fast forward through all the commercials or whatever, you're still looking at two hours per game, so that's like eight hours of NBA in one day. And when you're talking about, like, that's during a school night as well, you're literally talking about, and like, especially for me when I'm getting home at like seven o'clock at night, you're talking about just watching NBA from uh, literally until three in the morning. Like, you can't do that, and that's, that's ridiculous, but I, I'm going to see if I can stick to it for a while, because i I'd really like this to be the year that I watched every single game of the NBA playoffs because that's another thing. Like it's not it's not the most fun watching all the first round matchups and not getting to watch any of the good ones. But yeah, I'm super excited for the Western Conference Finals. That's going to be amazing. I, I would love to see the uh, a Warriors Jazz series in the first round uh, without uh, Stephen Curry. That'd be, that'd be uh, really uh, interesting. Up, oh, he's having some difficulties. He'll be here in another five minutes. So I guess I'll move on from that and uh, talk about uh, what uh, is coming up for the schedule in the foreseeable future. Uh, tomorrow night I'm recording with uh, Andrew Trulove. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, anime and reviewing a uh, recent, uh, recent series we've been watching, uh, Mob Psycho 100. And that, that should be absolutely fascinating. Because uh, I'm really curious to see how that goes. Like if we like doing a review series, that could continue. If we hate it, well, obviously <laughs> that's not going to be very much fun. But I, I took a ton of notes for it. I, I, I have a weird thing with notes. Like I, I, I can't take notes easy. When, whenever I do notes, I have to literally write down anything that pops into my head about the piece, and it literally will take me like, well, here I so I'll just uh, look through my uh, time tracking for uh, doing the review of the first episode. So it took literally three and a half hours to do the review of the first thirty-minute episode of Mob Psycho One Hundred. Now that that did uh, come from in, uh, part of the problem with that was I had to uh, review the uh, uh, what's in an OP for uh, Mob Psycho 100, which takes a lot longer because I literally uh, looked through every single visual element of the piece, and then I looked through every single uh, like just anything that I noticed with the music, and then like all of the visual f and the themes within the piece and. It takes a while, but I'm confident that I can talk about the entire show for a while. It started off on the. It started off looking kind of chaotic and like a little too much, like it was trying to be uh, too off the wall and be like, "Look at us, we're a kooky show, and we're called Mob Psycho 100, and we're gonna be what you see on your hallucinogenic drugs or whatever." But yeah, I'm starting to enjoy it, and like Mob's becoming a really cool character after after a little bit, so. Yeah, and I'm curious to see what Andrew's going to think. Uh, I've tried to avoid talking to him about it, so yeah, maybe he'll like it too. Uh, in terms of uh, what else is going on, jeez, uh, I'm getting all the updates, I'm sorry. Put my phone right next to the microphone. Here, I guess I should tell you what that update was for. That was for uh, reaching 80% battery life on my phone, and I don't remember if I've talked about this before, but 
something that I follow pretty uh, religiously is, that's uh, uh, funny because I'm an atheist, is uh, if just charging my phone and making sure that it always is below 80% and above 20%. And that's that's because of uh, study, studies that I've seen where uh, lithium-ion batteries, if they reach above 80% capacitance, they start to... Uh, start to uh, become too big for... Hey, sorry about that. Yeah, don't worry about it. I was talking about my uh, religious uh, fascination hello? with... Uh, uh, hello. Sorry. Uh, just uh, my, my fascination. What? What were you saying? Oh, Go sorry. Ahead. I was getting an echo where uh, like I was hearing my own voice back through the microphone. That was weird. But no, I was talking... I was... It got pretty deep into the vamping. I was talking about my uh, habit of uh, never charging my phone past 80%. So, oh, really? yeah, we kind of went off the deep end, but okay. I, I have no clue what we were talking about before this. Uh, uh referees. Oh, okay. Uh, hmm. Is there anything left to say about referees? Uh, Probably not. We kind of we've vented all of our frustrations, I think. Yeah, let's. Oh, oh, yeah. They, I, I forgot. I wanted to ask you a question. The viewers are uh, listeners are probably remembering that I mentioned right after you left. I would ask you this. Uh, so do you think that the college uh, rules for the defensive free seconds are better than the MBAs? Uh, yes, because, I mean, I feel like I feel like any player who's, like I feel like every player should be able to play however they want, and I just feel like zone defenses, uh, like if I you really have, needed that if water. Have, sorry? I, I said I really needed that water. Oh. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I guess it's not, that big of a deal because some teams can still kind of play zone without technically playing zone. But I mean, I think without the rule, like I'm kind of torn on it because you could literally just have Rudy Gobert standing under the rim for an entire 24 second possession and completely seal off the rim. Um, but at the same time, it's sort of like you should, I mean, just like either get good enough to finish against it or just learn how to shoot from outside. So like it's limiting the the rule kind of limits players like DeAndre Jordan, Rudy Gobert, Anthony Davis, Hassan Whiteside, Kristaps Porzingis. Like the good rim protectors in the league are sort of limited by the rule. So, but at the same time, like that rule is what's allowed. Like it kind of, I guess it kind of helps to make the league as guard centric as it is because like like James Harden would not be the player he is if there was a big man consistently in the paint. So. Um, that also, I think, would bring back a little bit of a prevalence of a stretch five player because then, like, that's the reason that you have a stretch five anyway is to bring uh, that big man out of the paint. So I think that I think that it should be allowed simply because, like, if it's allowed at every smaller level, why do you all of a sudden make it different when you get to the highest level? It seems kind of sort of, you know, like counterproductive. But at the end of the day, it can live without being changed. But I just feel like, just for consistency's sake, it should be a rule in the NBA too, or shouldn't be a rule. Yeah, and and it is. I agree with you. It, it, it's a tougher call because if you don't have it, then you have a system where like it, you're back in the '60s, where like the center is just parked in the paint the entire time, and the guards can't drive on the center at all. And like I'm concerned that even if you had like stretch five or something, that center still stays in the paint, and you, it, they just trust the. Uh, guards to play like a five four uh five four on, on everybody out on the paint on the perimeter and just hope for the best because they know yeah. that nobody's scoring in the rim. But yeah. so like that it, that comes down to uh, should the rules be, should rules that uh, only are meant to uh, enhance the 
uh, view uh, the watchability of the game be allowed. And it's a tough call, but I mean, really, I think you have to just almost like have it for like an entire season or like just a couple games and just test it and see like, okay, if we uh, have this system, uh, is someone like DeAndre Jordan just going to dominate the entire time and nobody's going to be able to score at the rim? Is it, is it going to be, uh, is it just going to be a boring game that nobody wants to watch? Or like, is it something that uh, guards can dominate even more in? Because, well, probably not, but like where the stretch five uh, really does dominate, where like the center does have to come out of the paint to guard them. So really, I think you just have to run some tests on it, but I'd be curious to see how it would go, because it, it would be, it, it is absolutely just a holdover of the NBA's uh, uh, problems with some defense back in the 90s. Yeah, I mean, it just sort of like, it kind of changes conversations too, because like, I mean, so many people say things like, you know, when comparing players across different generations, it's like, oh, he had to play against zone defenses, he didn't have to play against zone defenses. Um, so it, it kind of add another layer to all of that because then they would have switched back. I mean, I feel like because the NBA has so many issues that could be fixed, it's sort of easy to pick all of them apart. But if there were fewer, like if they fix the things that surround like that, like if they fix like the fact that you can't like, like if they fix small things where they call like, like we were just talking about, like they call ridiculous things fouls. So basically I think if officiating got tighter, like, and more strict, I don't think that there would be more, like, like, I think that there would be, no one would really even think about whether or not there's a three-second violation defensively. Because, um, like, I think, like, defensive, like, defensive-minded big men would, like, love to not have a defensive three seconds. But then I guess you'd also have this whole issue where all the offensive players who are really good in the post would be like, oh, so how come they can stay in the post for three seconds on defense, but I can't stay in the post for three seconds on offense? Because um, then, obviously, there's also offensive three-second violations, so that would be another issue. Does but, does college basketball allow for offensive three seconds? I am not sure. I have not watched enough. Here, I'll, I'll look it up. I feel like maybe they don't, because I guess I mean that would be really kind of like all the big men would just kind of kill you. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Because you know they also have the the five-second back to the basket rule, which I think is kind of stupid. But yeah, what's uh, five seconds back to the basket? So basically, Mark Jackson, when he was a really good player, uh, he was, you know, you know Mark Jackson, the guy, he coached the Warriors. Yeah. Before so basically, he's a taller point guard. So he would essentially, like, it's, it's kind of nicknamed the Mark Jackson rule. He would just constantly back down smaller point guards and score on them. So essentially, the NBA made a rule to mitigate it so that point guards couldn't just beat you because they're bigger than you. Okay. So like, you can't, you can't, like, you can't bump your shoulder and like post someone up for more than five seconds, basically. Yeah. Okay. It, it is in college, but it's kind of like a long five seconds. It's kind of like the five seconds that you get on an inbounds pass where it's like, you know, so you don't really see that called that much, but still it's a rule. Yeah. And do you think that the, the NBA should just have like a timer that goes off after like five seconds, if you haven't uh, brought it in? Cause like that, that's a weird yeah, thing with the, the refs counting. Like it's like, that's it's like six one seconds. Of those things that I feel like it's subjective. Like they change it sometimes when the game is different. You know, like they kind of like they slow the counts down when it's the game is close and stuff, which is just kind of stupid. But yeah, and like they don't even have an actual stopwatch. They're like one, two, three. Yeah, like it's that's that's ridiculous. So like yeah, they should have a built-in timer because even with the even if it was a stopwatch, they stopped by themselves. Like there would always be user error. Yeah, um, it'd never be exactly five seconds. So. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think a timer would definitely, I mean, they, they kind of need that in the sense of like all things. Oh, another rule that I didn't mention that's different in college. In college, you get a, uh, in college, the, uh, let me double check on this. College shot clock. The shot clock is different. Yeah, yes, it is. It is uh, 30 yeah, the seconds. The shot clock is 30 seconds in the league and it's 24 seconds in the, uh, it's 24 seconds in the uh, NBA. Yeah, it used to be uh, 35 seconds, actually. But that sounds like the same problem that the NBA used to have with zone defense with uh, college basketball having a history where they used to not have a shot clock at all. And like yeah. it, while the NBA switched to having a shot clock in the 1950s, uh, the college basketball stuck without one until like the 1970s, actually. Yeah, that's. I don't really understand how that ever worked. Like I feel like it, what you should do in that situation is just score the ball once and then hold it. Yeah. Like, you know? So I, so I think that does settle our argument then on if the NBA should uh, get rid of uh, get rid of a defensive three seconds and that they should have it because if a rule like the shot clock was only created to make the game more watchable, then what's the problem with defensive three seconds doing that too? Yeah, I think it's just, I feel like it's an interesting debate because like if you changed a rule like that, like the league would change completely. Um, because like now, like at this point, the one thing that I don't like about the NBA right now is that like, even though we have good big men, like, it's like the big men have to adapt to how the guards play. Yeah. Like Kristaps Porzingis is not how we view him unless he can do all the things that he can do. But the only reason that he can do all the things that he can do is because the league is predicated on how well you can play like a guard. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it doesn't work the other way around where it's like we we praise we don't praise guards for being able to play like a big man, but we praise big men for being able to play like a guard. Like like you, like if James Harden had like a a post fadeaway, like that I think that'd just be amazing. But like obviously there's literally no reason for him to do that because his style of play is perfect for what the NBA is now. So I just wish it went both ways a little bit more and it wasn't so like prevalent on like, oh, you can shoot threes, you can dribble, you can do like like I, I sort of like like Lamarcus Aldridge to me is one of my favorite players because he's kind of one of the only players who doesn't really adapt. Like he's still, like, like he's different because like Joel Embiid, right? Like he's a really good player in the post, but he also like he shoots a lot of threes. He's inefficient. He turns the ball over a lot. Like he plays very similarly to a guard. Even Anthony Davis to a degree. Like he shoots like 53 percent from the field, and he plays in the post, but then he also plays on the perimeter a lot. He makes plays. He handles the ball a lot, but like. LaMarcus Aldridge is kind of one of those like actual throwback players where he lets Tony Parker or DeJounte Murray do all the dribbling. He goes, he finds a spot in the post, he gets the ball, he backs them in, he shoots a post fadeaway, or he goes to the rim. Yeah. Um, and then every now and then you'll see, like he's a mid-range player. And I think it's nice, it's refreshing to watch the Spurs play simply because he plays like that. Um, <clears throat> and I just wish there was more of a balance between it because like, and it's all, it, it kind of goes hand in hand in my opinion with the whole thing about how all guards now are like masquerading as shooting guards. Like, Steph Curry is not really a point guard. It's just he's a point guard because of how tall he is. Damian Lillard, same thing. Um, you know, Kyrie Irving, same thing. Like, a point guard, like, traditionally is players who you score probably maybe, like, somewhere between, like, 15 and 20 points a game, and then you get, like, 9 to 11 assists a game. Uh, and now it's kind of like your point guard is supposed to be able to get you 24-plus points per game and then only, like, 5 to 7 assists a game. So, um, I mean, ideally you can do both which, you know, Harden can do and stuff like that. But I just wish that there was kind of more of a, like, like I guess positionless basketball is cool, but at the same time, I feel like, like, I mean, positions are a part of the game. So I just feel like I wish that there was a little bit more semblance of that still. 
Yeah, and I get, I get what you're getting at, where, like, it, the NBA incentivizes you to play the game a specific way, so all the players are going to trend that way. And I think that's one of the problem with, uh, problems with sports, where you always will have a specific rule set, and you'll have a specific style that will uh, better uh, fit that rule set, and how uh, people are always looking for uh, new creative ways for players to play. And as you said, like, you're not going to have a uh, guard that always plays like a center, but you're going to have centers that will always play like guards. So, like, you're always going to have players trending towards the exact same player. And unfortunately, that's not what makes sports fun. Like, uh, we, nobody wants to watch a game that's full of robots. Like, they want to see a game where, like, anyone can play however they want and they can win. Because that's why we watch sports, to see the kinds of things that we can't do and marvel at it. Yeah, and, like, also another thing is, like, th th I think the, the discussion of players themselves, I think, is really interesting on this because, like... You don't have you don't have influential players who can influence the way an entire generation plays often. Like that like for this coming generation of like the people who are going to play in the NBA, you know, maybe in like 10 like Steph Curry is going to be extremely important because you know, his, his, this whole thing of like 3 over 2 and like analytics and like you as soon as you come up the floor you can pull up from half court and like you can try and shoot these crazy shots and like taking a bad shot but it's only like a bad shot is only a bad shot if you miss it. Like that kind of thing. Right? Yeah, like, like that whole mentality, right? Like, like, like Lamelo. I don't know. You know, are you familiar with like the whole Chino Hills thing and like uh, Lamelo Ball and uh, Lonzo Ball's little brothers? Uh, just them taking pulling up from like half court and like disrespecting yeah, yeah, opponents. Yeah, yeah, you've seen that, right? Yeah, like, like that. He's fifteen, right? Like, and he's pro like he's very talented. I think he'll probably end up playing in the NBA. But like that, that's kind of that's like real. Like that's actually what like people do. Like when they play at the park, like they they play like Curry and like. Like when you have, when you have an like, basically the way that I view it is like that's going to be the case until there's another extremely influential player who changes it. Like the the league is probably going to be that way until there's someone who's like Shaq and who comes into the league that's just like, I'm huge and I'm going to bully you and I'm gonna I'm just gonna dominate. But like the thing is like what's interesting that Steph Curry did in my opinion is that Steph Curry, like there's like anybody of any size could do what he does but like no like you have to be extremely huge and extremely tall to do what Shaq does so like you know like you can be basically anywhere between six feet and seven feet and shoot the way that Steph Curry does as long as you practice enough right but like regardless of how much like you're you can't change your height to be seven one and 360 pounds like Shaq so it's going to be interesting to me like may like the the only thing that I could really see like actually like changing the game is like if you have a player who comes into the league and is like just a monster defender like in terms of like like and by like monster defender i mean like monster defender like getting like seven eight steals a game and like five blocks right because then then it's going to be like oh wow like 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 the thing now is defense right that'd be, like, that'd like be incredible by the way <laughs> i would love to see that yeah it'd be really cool like and honestly i've thought about that too like like steph curry kind of he did a very smart thing like he I'm not, I'm not really sure how much he, I don't, I don't, I don't think that he, I guess, I don't think he like sat there somewhere and was like, oh, like, I'm going to take this league over and start a three-point revolution. Like, I think it just kind of came about because of his play style. Right? Yeah, yeah, of so, course. So, so like, if there was a player, right, who, who like, who's just strict thing, like Steph Curry's thing is like shooting, right? If their thing was defense and it's just like, I'm just going to play up so hard on guys, but I'm going to learn how to never foul them. I'm going to learn how to only get the ball. I'm going to get like 10 steals a game. I'm going to get like five blocks a game. I'm just going to position myself perfectly on defense. I'm going to draw like 10 charges a game. Like I'm going to do all this like stuff defensively. 
then the, the, the thing would be like, oh, wow, like anybody, like everyone can play smart positional defense. Like, oh, like I, if I, if I learn how I can, I can draw 10 charges a game or I can only touch uh, the ball when I'm trying to rip them or I can, I can get good positioning for blocks or like a play, like that's, a, that's one way that someone, the next kind of generational player could change the league to be different because then it'd be defensive style game. There wouldn't be as many points scored. It probably wouldn't be as fun to watch. It's like, that's the thing, right? Like Steph Curry's is probably the most fun one to watch, I guess, like, you know, from an aesthetically pleasing standpoint, but you know, I think a defensive style game could be fun because then you get so much more plays in transition and then people get highlight dunks and transition threes, like all that stuff still happens. Or you could do it kind of in a, like a Steve Nash on steroids kind of thing where you just find one player who's just an extremely creative passer or like someone who just, they completely dominate the game by playmaking only an average of 20 assists or something because like, you know, that sounds insane. But then like, when you think about it, like if you told someone like 30 or 15 years ago, there'd be a point guard in the NBA who made 402 threes in a season. That would sound just as crazy as what I'm saying right now about someone averaging like 10 steals a game. Yeah, definitely. So like basically, the, I think the, the the league now is because of what Steph Curry's done. I feel like the league is not going to be able to change into a way where you can just where like dominance now cannot come by size because of what Steph Curry's done. Like dominance now has to come off of some specific skill that you have, um, and I think that's hurt a lot of players who were probably like. Like Jaleel Okafor, for example, right? Like he was a third pick in the 2015 draft. His first season in the league, he had 18 points uh, per game, seven rebounds. But because he does not play like – he doesn't play anything like a guard. And he's struggling now. He's averaging like five points per game and four rebounds, and he got traded to the Brooklyn Nets. So now it's like you, you can't dominate in like – because I think of what Steph Curry's done to revolutionize the game, I think the only way that the league now is really going to be able to change again in such a drastic fashion – is if you get another player who's ridiculously skilled and perfect at doing one thing uh, or multiple things. Um, probably not multiple things, though, because it's more difficult for people who are learning the game to be good at two things. But like if you just, if it's just one thing that everyone can do, right? And in my opinion, there's only so many things that in the league that one player, like everyone can do, right? Like not everyone is going to have the hand talent to finish like Kyrie Irving, so it can't be that. But everyone knows how to, everyone can learn how to shoot basketball. Everyone can learn how to play defense properly. Everyone can learn how to make smart passes. Uh, so like, those are some of the things that I think that it would take for the NBA to really change again. But, um, <clears throat> like, I don't really see that happening because the way that Steph Curry's done, it seems to please a lot of people who are watching and it's perfect for the casual fan who just likes to see, turn on the, like, turn it on and see something exciting. So, um, until someone really, I guess, makes a full fledged effort to be like, damn, I'm going to change the league. We're probably going to be in this kind of league for a while. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. And like something that's that always really annoys me is that it just that uh, people they always want to do it in the easiest way, like the most obvious way that they can see. Like nobody wants to be the NBA player that's the big counterculture guy to come up with the new revolution, even though that guy would be way more successful. They want to be the guy that's doing the exact same thing as the most successful guy right now, because everyone's got this get rich quick scheme where they're like, "Oh, uh, how do how do I get good in the NBA? Ooh, the best guy right now, he he shoots a lot of free pointers. I better go shoot some free pointers too." And exactly. yeah, you're absolutely right. Like it, it, it takes a massive effort to uh, completely change how the system works and just uh, what. It, change it to a way that it just it works better for like how the rule sets designed and like i i do wonder because uh this was something that I, uh, we talked about like uh, two or three years ago when stephen curry was really becoming the god at shooting that he is now it just what does the is the nba gonna look like when players don't miss 
And, like, they don't miss shots. Like, what do you do on defense? Like, exactly. if they're just going to make the shot no matter what, like, what do you do? Like, are you just going to have 150-point games? Like, is it even worth playing defense at that point, or should you just try and outrun the guy? Like, that's a that's a weird thing. Like, and does anyone want to watch an NBA where players don't miss shots? That seems like it would be kind of boring. Like, there's no stakes. Like, oh, his, here comes Stephen Curry's walking up to the three-point line. Well, I know what's happening here. Here, let me go grab a beer out of the fridge. Or what, whatever. Yeah, like, like, yeah. Keep going. Yeah, and like it, it, it just seems like a, a foregone conclusion is not what the NBA wants, and like that's the problem with uh, uh, new ingenuities in terms of how the game is played. Like it's always converging to the uh, mathematically uh, best way to play, and right now that's the free, the free and uh, layups. So like that, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Daryl Morey, uh, champions with the Rockets, and. And, like, that's the perfect thing for the rule set right now. But the problem is the rule set will never keep up with the changing uh, changing way of the uh, changing play of the game. So you're always going to have the NBA and all sports uh, converging to the rule set's uh, ideal way of being played. So over time, you're going to have fewer and fewer uh, so-called revolutions in how the game is played occurring. So that creates a problem, obviously. Then you're going to have the creativity and creativity in the game and just uh, differing uh, play styles uh, decreasing over time, which is not ideal for the game overall. But I suppose if you have a good uh, baseline for like what you can expect out of the game, that always helps. But no, I would absolutely love to see an NBA with like some guy who just every time he walks up to the point guard, he's just like, ba-bam, I got the steal. Or, like, it just some center where, like, every time he's getting back down, he's like, I got you, bitch. And he just swats yeah. down the, the the ball. Like, that'd be really cool. But imagine an NBA where all the players are doing that. Like, that, would, that wouldn't be a very fun league. But uh, they, I had one other point there. Crap. Um, hmm. I got nothing. <laughs> um, like... I think that um, I had a thought too, but it's slipping my mind. Um, oh yeah, this, this is what it was. So a lot of like, uh, like when you watch games and like when you listen to talk shows or whatever, like they always say that this is like the most talented league in, uh, in like, you know, in recent memory. And while I agree with that, it's definitely, in my opinion, the least unique league because everyone plays the same way. Like Damian Lillard is so like, you could probably interchange Steph Curry and Damian Lillard. And like, cause Damian Lillard has, I think he's not as efficient from three, but he has the same shooting range as Steph Curry. Like if you, if you, like I've consistently watched, I, I consistently watched a lot of Portland games. Uh, you know, the one year that you and I said that Terry Stout should have been coach of the year. Yeah. Like that year I watched a lot of Portland games and like he, he can, he can consistently like hit from like extreme, like two, three to five steps behind the three point line. Like if you interchange, if you put Damian Lillard on the Warriors, I don't think that much would be different. Um, well, you know, passing, but be a little bit better. But like, I think if you put Damian Lillard on the Warriors, not like that much probably. Like if you had, not if you just changed them now, but like if you had brought up Damian Lillard. And oh, the Warriors, okay, yeah, so yeah, I see. If you change them now, obviously you have some differences because Steph Curry is much more efficient and you know his range is unmatched. Net. But like if you put Damian, like if Damian Lillard had been drafted in, you know. 2009 by the Warriors and then like he'd been coached by Steve Kerr brought up all that stuff like I think there wouldn't be that much difference right and then like Kyrie Irving like he's a 41% three-point shooter he scores that many points a game he doesn't pass that much like everyone's game is so similar and even the big men to this point like how like like 
I don't, I can't really, I can't point to a significant difference between the games of like Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid. Like aside from maybe a little bit of a height difference, like they're really good rim protectors who can shoot the ball, score the ball in, in the post. Like, you know, in the, in the, um, like in the NBA, like previously, right? Like let's, let, I guess let's just go back like, you know, 10 years ago, right? Like you had, this is what you had 10 years ago, or I guess it wouldn't even be 10 years ago. It'd be like maybe 13 years ago or 12, whatever, whatever. It's just a couple years ago, right? You had Tim Duncan. He was fundamentally sound and would completely dominate you in the post and defensively. You had Dirk Nowitzki, who was a stretch bait who could play you inside the post with post fadeaways and he could do, he could shoot threes and he was seven feet tall. You had LeBron James who could attack the rim and make plays for other people. You had Steve Nash who would dominate you strictly with his passing ability. You had Jason Kidd who would dominate you with his versatility. You had Kevin Garnett who would dominate you defensively. You had Paul Pierce who would dominate you with scoring. You had Kobe who would dominate you with scoring. Like different players did so many different things to dominate you, but now it's just like everyone shoots threes. Like James Harden beats you with his shooting and playmaking. Steph Curry beats you with his shooting and playmaking. Damon Lillard beats you with his shooting and playmaking. LeBron, even to a degree, now beats you with his, I guess not shooting, but his driving and playmaking. Giannis beats you with his driving and playmaking. Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid both beat you with their play in the post and the rebounding. DeMarcus Cousins beats you with his play in the post and, the, and his rebounding. Kristaps Porzingis beats you, you know, shooting threes and rim protection. And, like, you know, then you also, like, it's like every NBA player has another NBA player that you can really similarly compare them to. Like, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, they're not that different in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, not that much different. Uh, I like the like Kevin Durant and LeBron James, even to a degree. Obviously, LeBron James is a little bit better playmaker, but they're kind of like all players are like they have like equals or like players who can do all the stuff that they can do just as well, if not better than them. Like, I think the only unmatched talent in the league is like it's like small stuff that doesn't really affect that much. Like Kyrie Irving's finishing ability is that unmatched, but at the end of the day, that doesn't matter because everyone ends up scoring the same amount of points as them. And Steph Curry's shooting ability isn't really matched either, but like it, people end up scoring the same as them. Like I just wish that the game was kind of more spread out to where like you have different players who bring different things, and like that way, like if the NBA was more like that, and you put a team together with players like that then your team would just be so much more fun to watch because you could watch one team and see so many different things. Like you can't watch Houston if you want to see a grid and grind defensive game, Like you can't like you, if you're going to watch a Houston game, you're going to see a bunch of threes layups and transition. You watch the Warriors, you're going to see a bunch of threes layups and transition. You watch Cleveland, you're going to see threes layups transition. You're not going to see any defense. And uh, you know, like it's just, it's just like I was saying earlier, like basically like, there was a time before, and like, oh, also when I was listing players like Steve Nash, Dwight, uh, uh, Jason Kidd, Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan, um, LeBron James, Dwight Howard completely dominated the game defensively. Like three yeah. straight defensive player of the year awards. Wasn't that skilled inside, but was able to dominate because of his size and his athleticism and his strength. Like you just had so many, and like Dwayne Wade, he couldn't shoot from the outside, but he could create anything inside of the arc. He could make crazy shots. He could, he was fast. Like you just had so many different, styles of play which i feel like you don't have anymore like it's a rarity now to have people who can really beat you as passers strictly like no i don't think anyone in the nba can strictly beat you as a passer like yeah, maybe, maybe ricky rubio but like even he's struggling yeah even he's dropped off now like he, he's only averaging five assists a game now and he can't shoot from the outside so and he's a subpar and i get i shouldn't say subpar but his only thing his most of his value now comes for his ability to defend rather than offensively even though like when he came into the league 10 years ago, like he was one of the most highly touted draft picks ever because he'd been 
playing since he was 16 years old professionally. Like, it's just the league has changed so much now to where it's like you can't really dominate with what you're amazing at. Like, if Steve Nash was in the league now, like, he could do well because he could shoot so well, but because he wasn't a volume shooter, he'd probably be the equivalent to, like, someone like, I don't know, like, because he couldn't play any defense, so he wouldn't be Chris Paul. He'd probably be similar to Ricky Rubio, except with a, with a shooting touch. Like, because um, unless you can, like, unless you can do a set number of things in the NBA and it's, like, shooting, defend, and uh, run, like, it's, like, you can't do much in the league now. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you. And uh, miraculously, I remembered my point from earlier. Uh, and yep. it had to do with an article I was reading about uh, why the Pacers are doing so good this year. And it made a very strong case for how uh, the Pacers, it, 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 while uh, Oladipo has been great, and like a, obviously uh, Darren Collison has been like leading the league in three-point percentage, and uh, Domitas Sabonis has been all, all that he has been, like, uh, him and his uh, beautiful Lithuanian self. Like, it's just... <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, apparently, like, the Pacers are really representing the counterculture in the league and, like, taking over for the Grizzlies, and not in the sense that they're the new grit and grind, but what they are, they're the new long two team, and they're taking advantage of the fact that all the teams are trying to either move back away from the, back behind the three-point line or closer to the basket, and taking advantage of the how defenses are structured now to work against that, and, uh, they're, Optimizing their system so that uh, they're doing a second, seven seconds or less offense where they're taking long twos. They're taking any shot that is available to them and just saying, okay, if the defender is is not within four feet of me, regardless of where I am on the court, we're taking the shot. And that, and that really represents a point that I was going to get to, that all of these uh, systems are working in an equilibrium. Where even if you have the perfect optimized offense, or even if like your team literally has the best player, not the best players ever, it doesn't work for talent, but if you have the best system ever, and like the free and uh, layup system of Daryl Morey is the perfect system, then even still, the best way to run the NBA wouldn't have uh, every team doing that, because then you're missing out on uh, some teams that can take advantage of the fact that all defenses would be structured to uh, play against the free and layup system. So you have a team like uh, the Pacers that are willing to do that. Unfortunately, the uh, long two system isn't exactly the most exciting, but I mean, it's an example of counterculture. And I, I think every NBA fan would agree that like the Grizzlies were always a really fun team, even if their play style wasn't fun, just because it was so different from what the rest of the league does. They would just uh, take uh, walk up to you and grind on you and like, push you around and uh, make you uh, really feel pressured and like all the games would be like under 90 points or whatever and like it was uh, it, just in stark contrast to everything else in the league and like you would always hear about players heading into the grind house and that was like a different yeah. experience from everywhere else and like that was a really big thing and like now what we have like the jazz maybe that are uh, picking up the mantle for the grizzlies that have fallen apart this season like, I think that's a big part of the problem this year, actually, is just the Grizzlies aren't there to provide that big contrast. And, like, the Spurs are obviously moving away from that style, too. They've very much become a free-point uh, free shooting team, uh, even if most people haven't caught on to that yet. And, like, even team like, in teams like the Jazz now are, are with Joe Ingles and, like, just lining up there, and then if you have an opening, just throwing it into uh, Rui Gobert in the same way that the Rockets do with Clint Capella. Exactly. See, and like I like that point that you're making because one of the knocks that I always heard about the Grizzlies was like, yeah, like their play style is cool and all that, but you can't win like that. 
that that's simply not true. Like the reason that the Grizzlies didn't win was never because of the way that they played. It was just because as good as like their play style was so unique that and just like if you if you had taken the Grizzlies right from the peak of when like in like from like 2013 to like or not even I guess it'd be like 2012 to like 2016 right um because like they had some dominating playoff wins yeah like they beat the Thunder four to one they beat the Warriors four to one they beat the Spurs uh twice or not twice maybe once right yeah like the Grizzlies just never got over the hump simply because they didn't have enough talent it was never a matter of oh they can't win because they play like that like at the end of the day as great as Marc Gasol and Mike Conley are they're not as good as the other players in the league like um, like if you had put a pl- if you had put Kawhi Leonard right on the Grizzlies when they were at their back- oh my god that peak that'd be incredible there's no, mind, there's no doubt in my mind that they could have been a championship team or even LeBron I guess Le- LeBron it would be interesting like as long as you got some like I think LeBron would ultimately work because he's big he can he can grind it out defensively if he chose to he probably would have ended up with the defensive player of the year award if he ended up actually playing on for the Grizzlies with such a good defense and all that but Marcus Gasol can shoot a little bit Mike Conley can shoot. Uh, at the time, Vince Carter was coming off the bench. He could shoot. Zach Randolph, not a great three-point shooter, but he's about 35%. He can make something. Like, if you had given the Grizzlies a great player during that stretch where they were doing that, they easily could have won a championship. And uh, like, so the, the knock that, like, oh, like you can't win unless you shoot threes and you play fast and you have a fat, like, that's just simply not true. Like, the Grizzlies are, I guess, they're not living proof anymore, but they're dead proof that you, you can't win. Like, you can't, you can win if you change it up a little bit. Um, and the same thing with the Pacers. Like, the Pacers are just one star away from doing stuff like that. And, like, Tim Duncan was able to do that. That's why they won so much in San Antonio. They slowed the pace down. They played defensively. And another dumb thing, this this is just going off the same point. So, uh, I love LeBron James to death, but this was one of the stupidest things that he ever said, in my opinion. So, in before the 2017 NBA Finals, uh, someone asked him, a reporter asked him, uh, do you plan on changing up your the, the play style to play a little bit slower so you can slow down Golden State's offense? And he said, no, we're just going to play our game the way that we play. But to me, that's stupid because why would you play your way when you know damn well that Golden State plays your game much better than you do? And you know that you won the championship in 2016 playing at a much slower pace and slowing it down, and you won game seven, 93 to 89. Like, just the fact that teams now, and players even, like LeBron's the best player in the world, and like everyone's just opposed to like, how can you just be so opposed to changing it up and trying something different just because everyone else shoots threes? Like, it, I, like I would love to see another Memphis pop up, and I completely agree with you. Even though that they're one team and they're a small market team, I definitely do think that they're like not having them around anymore has really changed the NBA because now it's like, like it was always like, like I, I know this for the years that I've been watching the NBA. No matter like if if any playoff team was playing the Grizzlies, I would always watch that game. Yeah, because like. It'd be like it'd be like, and the Warriors had so much trouble playing the Grizzlies. Every time they played them, it would always be a close game, or it would always come down to like something. Like the Grizzlies were consistently a tough matchup matchup for them because Golden State. One of the reasons for Golden State's success, in my opinion, is that they they first of all, Steph Curry changed the way that the game is played, right? So he like he's been so influential in making so many teams three point centric, and they have an embarrassment of riches, so that like they've like. They, they change the style to be something that they're better than everybody else at. Yeah. If there were more teams that played like Memphis, there's no way that the Warriors would be as successful because then like they consistently have to go on the road and they'd have to play all these grinded out games and they'd get beat up and physically. Like, and I remember in the 2016 NBA Finals, 
when Cleveland was actually a very, very good defensive team and they were much more physical than they are now, like that's that series drove all their players crazy. Like Steph Curry threw out his mouthpiece because he was frustrated. Draymond Green had he he uh he hit LeBron in the groin because of how frustrated he was. Like it's like it's stuff like that that like is missing now from the league entirely because like like I would love to see like the reason that Houston is so successful, right, is because they they adopted the style and they're doing it just as well as Golden State is because they've surrounded themselves with so many shooters and they have two star players. But if you had a counterculture system like Memphis, like we were just talking about, and you put stars who exceed in that role, then it could be the same thing. Like if I were like like let's say that if you built a super team out of grinded out players who can play really good defense, right? Like there, you can't like if you put like let's say like just as just off the top of my head, right? Like okay, Patrick Beverly. Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, Rudy Gobert, and uh, Taj Gibson, right? Oh and my god! Gave them a really good bench. That like, sounds that amazing. Would be a contending team. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I I really want to see that team play. Uh, I, I'm such a defensive minded guy myself. Like that that sounds like a perfect team for me. But no, yeah, it, I just I made it. I just made it up. But like, uh, you probably need some, maybe someone a little different than Beverly just for yeah, playing yeah. purposes. But maybe like, like Chris Paul, but. <laughs> Yeah, he's defensive minded. That's the only reason he came to mind. Like, I mean, even like, uh, I guess, I mean, in theory, uh, I'm trying to think of a like of a of like a tall point guard who can shoot the ball and play defense, but they don't really exist that much. Maybe like get Ben Simmons or something. But yeah, I guess he'd be the best option, but he can't shoot a lick. So yeah, uh, whatever it is, like if you got that, if you put that team and then like you give them a playmaker and some shooters, like they would just beat they would just beat up the warriors like they would they would slow them down they would defend them so well they would be able to score at the pace that they want to score like you know a well balanced offense with an amazing defense i think is probably the key to beating the warriors because that's what beat them in 2016 that's how they lose every time on the road when they're playing a close game um like you never see the warriors losing a game where the score is like in the 120s or 130s like when every time you see the Warriors lose a game, it's in the low 100s and the high 90s and the you know sometimes the low 90s, um, except obviously in that one instance against Christmas uh, on Christmas against Cleveland where you know the whole foul calls changed the complexion of the game. But still, like they got so close to beating that game that it came down to foul calls, uh, and the reason for that was because they played at such a slower pace. Like I'm not I don't have a statistic on it now, but I'm fairly certain that the Warriors' winning percentage is much lower when the score is under 100 points. Yeah, definitely, and like it. Uh, obviously, yeah. It just playing at a slower pace isn't going to guarantee you a win against the Warriors, but it's going to give you a lot better chance than if you're going to go into a finals like Cleveland and say, "No, we're just going to outrun them and only get one game off them in the series." Yeah, and in in game in in 2016, like playing at a slower pace helped them. Like in, like throughout the, like this is the difference to me, right? That changed the complexion of the 2017 NBA Finals versus the 2016 NBA Finals. Going into the 2016 playoffs. Cleveland was only allowing 98 points per game, which is really good. Like, that's a really good defense. Yeah. Uh, 98 points per 100 possessions. Um, and then in the year after, I don't know what their statistic was, but it was like maybe it was like 108 points per 100 possessions. Like, their defense fell a lot. And they like they went from being a top five defense in 2016 to being a bottom eight defense in 2017. So, like, the difference is right there. Like, I believe that in 2017, I don't think the difference the, – the difference to me wasn't the fact that the Warriors added Kevin Durant. The difference to me – because the difference to me was Cleveland's drop-off defensively because, like, Kevin Durant, at the end of the day, while he does – he like, 
at the end of the day, you can only bring you bring production, right? Like so, Kevin Durant being a twenty-five point per game scorer last year. If you add up all the players that they lost, like that's probably equivalent to twenty-five points per game. Like Harrison Barnes was averaging like fourteen, and then you know they lost. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they they lost some player. Like they lost Bogut that year. They lost uh, uh, Leandro Barbosa that year. Like their Marquise team was the same. Uh, sorry. I'm sorry, uh, Marquise Chris. You mean Maurice Spates? Oh shoot! <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> wrong yeah. sons. Marquise Chris is on the sun, but yeah, more Maurice Spates. Yeah, like players like that. Like overall, like to me, it was like I'm not saying that Cleveland would have won the series if they were a better defensive team necessarily, but. That series probably would have been seven games if Cleveland was still a top five defense. Yeah, and that's the real concern this year is that they're not good defensively. But yeah. I do I do find it interesting that like the Grizzlies were able to even have as much uh, success uh, in the playoffs as they were with, with their style because you would think that they would it would work it wouldn't work as well in the playoffs as in the regular season just because every team is going to be slowing down the pace at least somewhat. Is it going to be yeah. playing uh, closer to them? But maybe it's just the fact that they were more used to playing that style that they exactly. Were... I think that's what it was too. Like you, when you like for for a Golden State, right, to go from a team that's scoring 120 points every 100 possessions, dropping to like 100, right? Like that's much easier for the Grizzlies to drop from like 98 points per 100 possessions to like 95. Like the drop, like they were so used to it that like come playoff time they were probably one of the few teams that had to make any adjustments to the way that they played because they played so they play played with a defensive mentality and like grind it out, like take every, like slow it down. Like we're going to play all 48 minutes, that kind of thing. Like, like the Grizzlies were never one of those teams that was like, we're going to play all our stars 33 minutes and we're going to be up by 20 in the fourth quarter and then rest all of them. So they don't have to play. Like the Grizzlies were not like that. They were like, they play the full game. They play all the way through. They win by, sometimes big margins if their defense just completely shook up the other team but most of the time they'd, they'd win close games and it would always come down to that um so like honestly like to me if you had gotten the grizzlies and like in those years when they were really good when like marcus all was the defensive player of the year if you had gotten them some three-point snipers and a really good playmaker and then maybe like one guy who could really hit clutch shots that team was perfectly poised to make a deep run because i remember there was one year when they were in the conference finals and they ended up losing to the spur i think it was 2014 actually like, can you imagine if the Grizzlies had played the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals? That would oh, have been insane. That would have been the, the like the best Finals ever, or something. Like, it would have been it would have been crazy to see because like that was the one year where Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade were really nothing. So it'd be basically LeBron James trying to fight a complete grinded out defense, which you know historically doesn't really work that well for him when he played the Spurs in two thousand seven or whatever. But still, like, I mean, it just it, we could see so many cool things. That, that we could see so many more cool things if the league was the way that it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, and like I, I even I like I don't watch NBA regular season basketball. I just don't but even just watching the playoffs and like just trying to watch every game and then suddenly like a Grizzlies game comes on and I'm like, "Ah, oh, that's that's so refreshing." I I I I just got it off of watching like the the last uh, Mavericks uh, Rockets series and just seeing all the freeze going down. Now I get to see nice a uh, nice refreshing um, uh, Spurs the Grizzlies game. I get to see a nice uh, 85 to 83 game, and I get to see uh, Marcus Saul just uh, just punching everybody in the post, and Z- uh, Zebo getting all the rebounds, and uh, Mike Conley and Tony Allen locking down the perimeter. This is uh, this is different, and you know what? I'm ready for different after watching all these NBA games, and it's so yeah. it's so important, especially like this isn't the NFL where like you only you can watch literally every game in the season if you wanted to, but even if not, like you only have 16 games in the season. 
you're going to get bored if you're like you're a really committed fan like the NBA expects you to be uh, having 82 games in a season. Like it, it gets boring after a while watching the same game play out every single time just with different teams. Like hey, nobody wants to see uh, the Brooklyn Nets do their rendition of the Golden State Warriors uh, throwing up all the freeze or like every other tanking team doing the exact same thing. And nobody wants to see the Suns do it when they can watch the Golden State Warriors do it. You've got to create your own niche for like how you're playing the game. And unfortunately, it takes a lot of risk to do that kind of thing. But, I mean, look how, how much it benefited the Pacers. Look how much it benefited the Grizzlies in the past. Look how much it benefited the mid-2000s Spurs. Like, I, I mean, it's, it's just something the NBA is moving away from right now. And, I suppose we'll have to wait a couple more years for Stephen Curry to drop off a little bit, but I suppose we should enjoy it while it's happening. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, it's just, I, I agree with what you said. It's just the, the reason, like, one of the reasons that I have such an issue with the way that the game is played now is, like, I've tried so many times to watch Warriors games, and then it'll be close in the first half, and then in the third quarter they'll score 40, and then they'll win by 20. And it's literally all predicated on the fact that they just run and shoot a bunch of threes. And yeah. no team has any answer to how to stop that because they just play the same way and they can't play as well as they can. So they end up losing. Yeah, and like those kind of, kinds of games are pretty boring. And like they, the NBA was designed around scoring about 100 points. That's why they chose a 24-second shot clock, literally, so that if you had like a 50% field goal percentage, you would score about 100 points. And, and I saw a statistic earlier today. I don't know where it was, but it was like it was just asking about like it, it, it was like is this the best offensive like is this the best offense in NBA history? Because like the combined like a, the average of every team in the league is like a hundred and like ten points per game and like fifty four percent field goal shooting or something like that. Um, and some some other statistic about like per thirty six or per one hundred possessions or something. And basically, like, my answer to that was no. Like, this isn't the best offense we've seen in the NBA. It's just the worst defense because everyone, like, like it's less about, like, what, like, I, I can't think of, like, like you said earlier, they're probably, like, if I'm, if I'm trying to think of a defensive-minded team, I can probably think of, like, five and three of them aren't good. Like, the only two good ones, the only three good ones, I would say, are Indiana, Boston, and the Jazz. Yeah. Like, I mean, the Jazz really are the only, like, really defensive-minded team right now. Like, the Celtics technically are, but, like, that's just so far out of what their public perception has been. It's, in the... it's out of necessity, really. It's not really because of that's how they play. It's just because they don't have enough offense, so they have to be defensive-minded. Like, as I, I guarantee next season when they have Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, and all their pieces back, and they probably get another couple pieces in the offseason, next year they're probably going to be just like everyone else and shoot a bunch of threes and just be, like, 100 10 points per game team. Oh, yeah. And, and maybe that's why Brad Stevens should be talked about more for Coach of the Year, the fact that he's just doing a completely different scheme than what he's comfortable with just to make his team better. Yeah, I mean, he, he is like that. And, like, that's another thing that I liked about Terry Stotts, the one year that you and I were really rooting for him in 2016. Yeah. He was playing at a slower pace. Like, they, they were consistently winning games in the low 100s and sometimes high 90s rather than, you know, going all out, like, 120. All that. Now it's definitely what they do, and... I just think it's interesting to see, like, while you and I have been in high school, like, we've literally seen how much the game has changed to how many teams there were just, there were like, like, you know, maybe when you and I started talking about basketball, like, you know, sophomore year, late freshman year, whatever it was, like, back then there were probably maybe like half the teams were shooting the way, like, you know, that they are now, but now it's like 25 of them, like, and then, and like soon, like, it's probably going to be all of them. And, you know, uh, 
I don't think that's I like I like what I was saying earlier about the whole thing about like you need someone to change it to be about defense or passing or something like it's probably going to be like this for the foreseeable future because like you know given I guess the only way that it could really I mean maybe like this is so far out of reach but like if LeBron like let's say LeBron James went to San Antonio and they just played at a completely slow grinded out pace because LeBron knew that was the only way to beat Houston and Golden State then I guess maybe you'd probably see some teams like try and take that approach. But like even the Philadelphia 76ers probably only have like two, three really good shooters, but they still try and shoot a bunch of threes. Yeah. And like, it's just, it's a problem that every team wants to do what the Golden State Warriors do, regardless of uh, their personnel, regardless of uh, what their coach thinks originally, regardless of what the owner thinks. It's just, everyone's like, we've got to do what the winner does. And that's how the NBA has always worked. It's always been a, uh, well, that's how sports always work in general. It's just it's always uh, trying to chase down the front runner, and then some team that's doing something completely different actually becomes the new front runner, and then it's chase the new front runner. It's just yeah. And I think Houston's downfall, if they end up have, if Houston ends up having a downfall this season, I don't. I personally don't think they will. I think they're probably gonna. I, I like if I like. I hope that they'll be in the NBA Finals. I'm not. Entirely, it depends on Golden State's health. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like if. If the conference final started today, obviously I would pick uh, I would pick the, I would pick the Rockets. But like if the if the Rockets end up having any downfall, I think it's ultimately going to be that they tried to beat the Warriors at their own game. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I feel like if the Warriors really wanted to, and they just like the Warriors, like they score 121 points per game, and their their stars only play like 33 minutes a game. So like, I, there's no doubt in my mind that if the Warriors were all clicking on all cylinders, could probably end up getting like 140 points a game. Um, obviously maybe not in the playoffs, but still they could get the totals really high because they like they like I said earlier, they have an embarrassment of riches. Kevin Durant can shoot, Steph Curry can shoot, Draymond Green can shoot sometimes, Clay Thompson can shoot, Nick Young can shoot, Omri Caspi can shoot, Andre Godala when he's clicking can shoot. Uh I, I like and that's not even everyone on the roster. David West can make a mid range jump shot, not necessarily a three. Yeah. Quinn Cook can shoot. Uh, like uh I can't think of everyone on their roster, but regardless, like at the end of the day, like I think like Houston tried to take this approach to building the perfect, the perfect team for the NBA now, which is threes and layups, bunch of shooters, two playmakers, perfect point guard play for 48 minutes and good solid perimeter defenders. But like Houston shoots 51 threes a game. Yeah. It's absurd. Like that's, that's, and, like, that's it's not even like, fun to watch at some point. Yeah. Like, threes layups and like on something like they shoot more threes than late like oh my gosh like i I'm, i don't know i don't know how many shots on average a team that i i think i think on average i think a team attempts like 80 shots a game maybe something like that but like 50 of them are threes like wow like that's just insane no absolutely and like it it just be at some point you need sport. Sports are exciting when they the unexpected occurs, and I mean if the Rockets just roll through the playoffs the whole way just by shooting freeze, and like if what if they just swept every team and they just beat them all by twenty points, and and then Daryl Morey came on, and he's like, well, we uh, took more freeze, and obviously that would that was the more proper strategy, and that's why we won twenty uh, by twenty points every game, and uh, you guys shouldn't be surprised because the math says that this should have worked. Like that, that's not what makes sports fun ultimately, and that's not good for the league to just have a have everything uh, converge to one play style and have everything uh, devolve into uh, just doing the most optimum strategy every time. Because 
frankly, efficiency is boring at some points. Yeah, like, even I know that. Like, someone who's absolutely obsessed with uh, doing everything the most efficient way possible. It gets boring. Like, it, it's a lot more fun to be spontaneous and uh, do the unexpected and watch the unexpected. And Like, if this league didn't have... If this league currently did not have Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, and Ben Simmons, I would be extremely worried. Because... Yeah. Without, like, those players, in my opinion, will probably be, like, they'll be the next generation, and I don't think of any any one of those players as being three-point-centric players. Like, they can all shoot threes, but it's, like, their first choice on offense is never going to be to shoot a three, except maybe Joel would beat sometimes. But, or maybe even Carl Anthony Towns sometimes. But for the most part, they all play inside, inside the arc. They kind of shoot threes because they know that everyone should be able to shoot threes, except Ben Simmons can't shoot threes, doesn't try. But, um... <laughs> Like if it like it could get to a point where like it could like 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 you and I were talking about earlier like it get to a point like where like people just don't miss and then like the league like people just wouldn't even watch the league right like if this continued for like twenty years like the NBA would be begging for like someone to just come come in and completely change it and be like oh my god like I don't know like who knows like maybe if this kept going for like another fifteen years and the league just got ridiculous with it like maybe they could start putting like a like a limit on how many threes a game a team can shoot yeah. and then like. I don't even know how you would regulate that, but like, like whatever, like it, it can really get out of hand if they don't get it. If it's not controlled in some way soon. Yeah. And like, it's, it seems like a, for the most part, the NBA solves this problem by making a big rule change. But I mean, what rule change can they make at this point? Like the only one that people even talk about, is like a four point shot, but that's just seems like it's moving in the wrong direction. It would exactly like it would literally be more like, because at that point you would be giving an advantage to like five players, maybe, maybe five. Like you'd be giving an advantage to Steph Curry, uh, Damian Lillard, and I don't even know. I can't even name three other players who have the range of those two players. Like yeah. I know players who can shoot really well, but I just don't know. I don't. I don't know many players who can shoot from that far. Uh, so, like, it's just it's insane. Like something needs to happen. To and like this is another interesting thing that I was that I that I uh, that I was listening to a couple of days ago, um, and. Uh, it was talking about how LeBron James, when he was like 10 years ago in 2009, right? And like around that time, yeah, he, 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 would, he was playing with a, a supporting cast even worse than the one that he has now. And his teams then were able to win 66 games and then 61 games in consecutive seasons. But now, even though he's playing with a better supporting cast, he's probably only going to end up winning around 49, maybe 50. And a lot, you know, many of those games are attributed to their lack of defense. But uh, an NBA analyst pointed out that a lot of that is centered around the fact that LeBron can't do as much to carry a team because every other team he's playing is playing in threes and not twos. Because when they were all playing in twos, it was easy because, like, you can facilitate twos because LeBron James is primarily a two-point scorer, not a three-point scorer. So he would do that, and then when he would facilitate, he would facilitate on sh uh, sh shooters on the outside and people cutting to the basket. So it was much easier for him to carry a load when he was combating twos. But now that he's combating threes, it's like anytime LeBron makes a play for two, it's like the other team is down the floor shooting a three, so it's so much more difficult for him to win. So, I mean, that's just one example of like how much the NBA has changed in the past 10 years. And like, like, like literally like teams that should probably like, – 10 years ago, this team with LeBron probably would have won like 67, 68 games. But now it's like just be like, and it's, 
you know that it's not any indictment on LeBron and how much, like, because offensively he's just as good as he was then, if not better than he was then. Yeah. And, you know, even though he was better defensively in the regular season then, like, it's not like one man's defense is going to be the difference between, like, winning 20 more games. So, um, yeah, like, I just think that what's happening with the league is insane. And at some point there's going to, there has, there's going to have to be some sort of handle on it. Um, but if the game does end up getting ruined, I guess we you know we all have one person to blame, and it's Steph Curry. So, yeah, and you know what? I I think it's fascinating that we're this ahead of the curve because I think we're I think we're right about this to be honest. But like the fact that we're calling it right now, like just like a practically a year into this trend, like when everybody right now is like, "Ooh, James Harden! Ooh, fear the beard!" and like, "Oh, look at him! He's running around getting all those free point fouls." And, like, I think, yeah, in, like, two or three years, people are just going to be sick of it. And, like, the NBA is really going to start paying for it if they don't, if either, like, another uh, transcendent player uh, changes the way the game is played or, like, so, uh, something else changes in the league. Like, it seems like it's going to become a real problem. And, like, I'm I, I'm a little concerned, to be honest, because, like, I, I like the NBA and I, I want it to be a league where, like, we can see all these different play styles, and, like, and if you want to play the game a specific way, you can. You're not going to be coming and be told by your coach, no, you you have to develop a three-point shot if you don't have one. You can't be like Giannis and never develop a jump shot, because then that's your only criticism that we're going to have for the rest of your life. Or, oh, yeah. if you're LeBron, and, like, you, uh, I mean, he was never a three-point shooter when he was younger but as he got older he's had to become a free point shooter he's had to conform to what the nba has wanted to stay relevant and like that's a sad thing that like you can't have players playing as they want to if they want to uh, stick around you can't have like an uh, all defensive team or like you're getting like 10 steals a game or whatever and like yeah, everyone's just locking you down because it's just not gonna work and like that's, that's a weird thing yeah i think it's just like like, just like so many other things, like, just in life in general, like, it's just not sustainable. Yeah. Like, you just can't, you just can't keep, like, you can't just keep doing this thing where, like, every single person who's coming into the league knows that, like, because, like, at some point in time, it's, like, every team is going to want to draft everyone because it's, like, oh, he can shoot threes. Like, he should be on the team. Like, like you shouldn't be able to get drafted into the NBA just because you practice shooting for 15 years. Like, it's not, I mean, like. And, like there's like, more to it than that. Like if a child, if a if a kid now, right, is like four years old, right, and he's like watching basketball and he just she, like sees all these things shooting threes, and like his parent is some sort of like, oh, my kid needs to go to the league. Like, what is his parent going to do? His parent's going to say, come outside and let's just shoot a bunch of jump shots. You're going to become an amazing shooter and you're going to make it to the league because that's what they care about now. Like, there's there's you don't have to be that skilled. Like, you don't have to be able to do like all these others. Like, I don't think that. Like, Steph Curry, don't get me wrong, is an amazing player, but he's not nearly as versatile as some of the other players in the league. Like, he's not the same driving to the rim as Kyrie, James Harden, LeBron. Like, he's not. He's not as physical as a player as, like, a Mike Conley or, a, like, you know, like, or a Patrick Beverly. Like, his his thing is shooting. Like, Steph Curry without his shooting ability is, like, he's a, he's a good point guard. Like, he's not transcendent. He's not... Like he's, I wouldn't even say he's a great point guard without like, cause his shooting ability is what changes the offense and it's what stretches the defense so far out. Like you have to pick him up as soon as he cro uh, crosses half court. Like, you know, like he's not really like Steph Curry can't kill you in more way than one. Like even if Steph Curry, if, when Steph Curry has an off shooting night, he's not going to hurt you. 
And like, that's just the simple truth. Like Steph Curry is never going to be one of those guys who can kill you with his passing and go for 20 assists. Like he's not, he's not that player. Like I think his career high is like 11 or maybe it's 12, but like, you know, like, the, and he's not going to consistently drive to the rim because he's not a physical player. He's, he's not going to be able to take the abuse for an entire game like that. Um, like he, like I remember in, in 2016 when he won the MVP, he was attempting, I think 20 shots a game or 19 shots a game. And he was attempting 11 threes a game. So like he only ends up shooting like eight, two pointers a game. So, I mean, it is what it is. Like, yeah, at some point, like, I, I just feel like it's sort of in the it's setting the wrong direction in so many ways because it's gearing young kids who want to end up playing playing one way it's gearing all the nba teams right now towards playing one way and like if you develop so much around this one thing it's gonna i feel like it's just gonna result in a deterioration of everything else yeah. like we're probably not like because of what's happening right now we're not going to see another player like lebron james for a very long time because I think at some point, Ben Simmons and Giannis Antetokounmpo, even though they feel like right now it's fine, whatever, they're so young. When it gets to the point where they really want to win championships and stuff, I think they're both going to realize, like, damn, I have to develop a three-point shot or else it's not going to work. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, it, it, the thing is, Stephen Curry's not the problem. It's the Chris Middletons, the Clay Thompsons, the Bradley Beals, the Trevor Reeses, the Ryan Andersons, the the power the power forwards out on the three point line the stretch fives the the centers that are trying to shoot the frees it's all of these other role players and like every other player that's trying to shoot a free constantly that's the problem and like, I agree yeah it's like Steph Curry like Steph Curry did like he he kind of made that happen as he went along it's like but like all these other guys exactly like what you're saying right like like dude like Clay Thompson man like you got into the NBA because you got into the NBA you don't have to play like Steph Curry all of a sudden. Ryan Anderson, you got in the league because you got in the league. You don't need to all of a sudden play like Steph Curry. Like, and all these other, like, it's just, at the end of the day, I don't feel like you can be that successful if you're just doing something because of the way someone else did it. Like Kobe Bryant, for example, right? Like, I think everybody feels like Kobe Bryant could have possibly done more, but I feel he was, I personally feel like Kobe Bryant was extremely limited by the fact that he literally just tried to look at a model of success in Michael Jordan and copy it. Because if you look at something, if you look at someone who's doing something perfectly or close to perfectly, you're not going to be able to replicate it just as perfectly as they did. Exactly. Like it's just not, it's not going to work. And that, and that's our argument. And that's what our arguments for uh, like the LeBron James Michael Jordan thing always comes down to. It's that like and people want to see. Like I don't I don't even know what people want sometimes, but like that just like they want to see perfection replicated over and over. But they eh, define perfection in a very specific way, and you can't do that. Perfection comes in all forms, and like ultimately there is no perfection. So like you just have to be willing to accept whatever's new. And just jump onto it and like accept a diversity in the way the game is played instead of ridiculing these players who play it differently. You have to be willing to scheme around players like Jason Kidd did with uh, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo and not kicking him out of the league when his scheme is uh, going for a rough patch because he's working against literally the entire league. Like, you can't be a firing coaches like. Uh, uh, what's his name? Who was the Grizzlies coach that they fired? Dave, Dave Fisdale. Yeah, you can now firing Dave Fisdale when his team is going for a rough patch just because it's and they're they've retooled their team and they're trying to uh, keep a play style that is clearly uh, getting not uh, that is going against what every other NBA team is. It takes time to like you have to be patient with like these kinds of things and 
uh, unfortunately, the NBA is a money-making industry, and as it has to be, and it just feels like it's becoming more and more mathematically driven. And I, I love math just as much as the next guy, but I'm not watching sports to uh, get a lesson on efficiency. I'm watching sports to be entertained, and it's not entertaining to watch the same thing regardless of what's uh, of the six, uh, the fifteen games a night that I turn tune on. Yep, I agree. Okay, so I, f I think that pretty much summarizes our uh, thinking. I was looking over the schedule, and it seems like we're going to have a uh, recording uh, on either a 7th or the 8th, and then we're going to have our uh, playoff one right in like the night before the playoffs start. So cool. uh, so I'm going to save that uh, stuff that I had for today for then. Uh, we're going to get in a big, long discussion about Tim Donahue, and uh, oh, okay. it's, it's going to be great, and uh, a bunch of other uh, great stuff. So if you guys are ex as excited as I am to uh, continue this conversation uh, next week or when whenever the heck it wants to happen, then make sure to give us a leave us a review on iTunes saying so. Make sure to give us a five star review. I'm sure we, we appreciate it. Well, I'm telling you, I do. I hope Arad does. And yes. you know what? Go give us a subscribe on uh, YouTube as well. Uh, that's going pretty well. Ring the bell. Give us a comment. Do whatever you want. And you know what? We're gonna see you next time. Okay. Stay cool. Uh, keep enjoying the NBA, even if we uh, struggle a little more too after today. And yeah, it's playoff season, buddy. <laughs>